Hello and welcome back to the Awesome Boom podcast. Thank you. Once again, you guys are absolutely awesome for tuning back in uh, to basically just listen to some fairly interesting conversations. Fairly interesting conversations, I say. Well, I personally think they're incredibly interesting and uh, I hope you guys do too. Today we have got a very special podcast with a friend of mine, Luke. Luke and I are going to be talking about male mental health and suicide. Both of us have gone through pretty tricky mental health issues over the last few years and uh, we thought it would be important to have a frank and open conversation about mental health and how we cope and how we struggle and all of that kind of stuff so it is a it's a fairly deep conversation I do warn you we also go into detail about plant medicines ayahuasca Luke is coming to Italy Um, in literally about a week's time with me to uh, spend 10 days on a deep, deep healing retreat alongside with 30 other people uh, with this amazing trip that we've organised. So it's going to be, it's going to be deep guys. It's going to be really, really deep and um, we're going to do a follow-up podcast after Italy as well with Luke to discuss and to find out how he found the 10-day journey because from my experience the uh, the, the the retreats are hugely hugely powerful and when you go into them fully surrendered and fully prepared to face your darkness all your bullshit your trauma your just everything that just holds you back in life then these wonderful plants can really open you up and really help show you what you need to focus on the areas of your life that you need to to improve and how to process and let go of past traumas which ultimately hold us back so we are going to be doing a part two as soon as we get back from Italy but um, until then I guess we might as well just crack straight on with this podcast Um, in the next couple of weeks I'm going to be opening up my books Um, I've got some more space now for private clients so if you are out there and you would like to come and work with me please get in contact just DM or drop me an email just at awesome at awesomeboon.com I run a, a new 16 to 20 week program, which is a transformatory program. And um, we will work one-to-one to process and deal with everything that is holding you back in your life and stopping you from becoming the fullest and best versions of yourself. So if you are, if you've got to that stage in your life where you're just like, look, you know, I know there's issues. I know there's things in my life that are holding me back and I'd really like to speak to someone to help really sort that stuff out, then drop me an email and uh, we'll get the conversation started. I can assure you um, with my experience in this work and especially with this new program that we've been working on, give me four months of your life, five months of your life um, over the course of once a week and uh, I promise you, you won't recognize yourself at the end of it. Uh, I know that sounds uh, quite a large claim, Uh, But it's true. It's true. We really can create very serious changes in ourselves when we have the right structure and the right support. So if you're really interested into unlocking your fullest potential, moving away from those things that keep you anxious, depressed, living in fear, then do just drop me an email. But let's crack on with this amazing podcast. Uh, Big love to you all and thank you so much for tuning in. How to start this? Hi Boone. Hi Boone. Hi me. So today, I've got a very special guest. Thanks. Very special guest. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So have I. Like really seriously looking forward to it. Yeah, I think too. it's it's always 
it's always nice when you meet other people who are prepared to have deep, open, honest conversations about their darkness, their <laughs> shadow, their bullshit. Oh, a lot of bullshit. The fears. Yeah. So much fear, right? Yeah, man. A lot of fear. Fuck. That's one thing I've really, um, I've really sort of made a lot of headway in. It's just my level of fears. I, I realised that a year ago, and you know, for pretty much three decades before that, I was just constantly living in a state of fear. Yeah. They call it survival mode. Not surviving though, are you? Really? No. Killing yourself slowly. Slowly destroying ourselves in this sort of comfort zone of survival mode where we just become so familiar and content with our pain. Yeah. It's nuts. It's crazy because the human human mind will normalize any sort of behavior in under 2 months. Yeah. Less than that actually. She used to not go out. Just I'll stay at home. Just that's my comfort zone. That's your comfort zone. Stay at home with myself and my thoughts and just live in my head forever because that's that's the safe space for me. Definitely wasn't. <laughs> no, no. It's it's interesting. I was talking to a guy the other day, and um, this is one thing I've really realised with a lot of people, most of us, all of us, is that we just live in our heads, mm. and we construct these amazing stories, these wonderfully detailed little stories we tell ourselves, and then we add a load of emotions to the mix. Yeah. And then before we know it, we're having this sort of three D experience which we believe to be real because our physical body and our five senses are making it feel incredibly real without actually realizing that we've created all of that carnage ourselves in our own heads just through thoughts yeah i used to make myself ill i don't get particularly physically ill these days but if something was coming up like a i don't know say a birthday party or something like that i'd just oh i don't feel very well today so i'm going to stay at home with my thoughts and my pain and my illness and just magnify it all, really. It's amazing, isn't it? Why do we, why do, we do that? I, just, I, I talk about this a lot where, you know, I say we're, we're absolute experts at making ourselves miserable. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll come home and we're going to be like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely feeling really down, really depressed. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to music, which is going to say, amplify my sadness. Yep. I'm going to go back over all the past... I'm going to reactivate all of those emotions, really sort of, really fully submerse myself in the pain and misery. Yeah, why? Why? It literally achieves nothing. It's such a backwards way of thinking. Just hammering yourself into the ground with just negativity. But we do it because it's familiar. Yeah. We do it because we can predict that cycle, that cyclic event. I guess the fear of the fear of sharing that internal anguish you think is going to bring you more pain because people will judge you for it and think that you're not fit to to exist in the world but you've already created that for yourself by telling yourself that you're not fit to exist in the world whereas if you just went out and had a chat with somebody you'd probably feel really good totally yeah but also, you know, again, it's this vicious cycle and it's something, again, I talk about and I'm going to be talking about a lot more over the coming months, is that whatever internal state we're experiencing, our outer state, 
our outer reality will mirror it. Mm. So if you are if you are feeling particularly low and depressed and you're one of those sort of people which is spending the majority of your life in that lower sort of consciousness level, that low frequency, you know, shame, worry, fear, concern, you know, all of these sort of emotional states, then that's all you're going to experience because yeah. that's all you're sending out. You send it out and it'll come right back at yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a very cruel aspect of this human experience that most people just don't even recognize that, you know, whatever you go, whatever's going on in your in, internal reality yeah. will be mirrored in your external. I was talking to a client the other day and he's just like, you know, my life's this, my life's that, da, 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 da. I'm always experiencing this, what, you know, it's, why does this always happen to me? Why do I always <laughs> attract these people? Why, 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 why? And I'm like, because it's you. Yeah. It, it's you. You are subconsciously creating these experiences internally. So then your external reality will just validate all of those concerns, those worries, because mm. that's what it thinks you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, we're not very kind to ourselves the majority of the time. We haven't been taught, though. We live, yeah. in, the, we live in this society which perpetuates fear, judgment, scarcity. Yeah. Especially being a man, I think, with sharing that weakness, that internal pain, that suffering. You can't talk about that. You can't because then people are going to judge you for it, which, again, is just a very backwards way of thinking. Why? Because I'm a man. Can I not talk about things that I suffer on a daily basis? Because people are going to look at me as less of a man. No, but this is this whole really screwed up ideology on masculinity and what masculinity looks like. And again, I think that's what we were discussing earlier. That's been perpetuated through, you know, past traumas and history and you know traumatic events like the wars and men have got to be this and this is this this is how you know society society is projected on you know, projected onto men what they think men should be. The know, pillars of strength. Pillars of strength, you know, these, you know, these providers, these people who just do everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, women get a really tough run as well. I mean, Absolutely. you know, because of that crazy masculinity, men have treated women like shit appallingly for, for, for many, many thousands of years. Definitely. And um, this, this, is, this is why... So much of society needs to change the way we look at things, the way we understand, the way we code experiences. And, um, you know, we're really seeing the backlash, I think, of not sort of embracing this more open policy of discussion and, you know, vulnerability. Yeah. Um, being I mean, vulnerable. Being vulnerable, right? It's, it's a very freeing thing. Massively. Becoming vulnerable. Yeah. But if you'd have said that to me a year ago, I'd have been like, Luke the hell are you on about exactly the same I didn't even tell I didn't even tell my wife that I was suffering from anxiety or depression why because I thought she'd think I was weak yeah yeah so then I'd just drink and take drugs and become less and less present with her just to try and protect her from my shit but then by doing that I'm projecting even more shit onto her definitely did exactly the same thing I mean my, my wife recognised that within me and I sought help after after that realization that I was suffering from depression in inverted commas, um, but it didn't really achieve anything 
because I didn't do anything about it. I just went, oh, okay, I, I gave myself a label. Oh, I now suffer from depression, so I can explain why I feel this way, why I think this way, by, why I behave this way. But I'm not actually dealing with that by labeling myself with that. I'm just magnifying it. Mm. And then in turn, that self-worth just falls away because you go, well, okay, so if I suffer from depression, does that mean I'm less of a human or less of a man or whatever? So like you say, you just think, yeah, well, I'm not good enough. And then you tell yourself you're not good enough and you feel less valuable in the eyes of everybody around you. Definitely yourself. Mm. Like you look at yourself in the mirror, whether it's an actual mirror or not, and you just think, not really a lot of point to me, is there? I'll just go to work and then come home from work and smoke a bucket load of weed so I don't have to think about anything and then get up the next day and do the same thing. Yeah, just repeat. Yeah. Eat, sleep, repeat. Well, eat, sleep, hate myself, repeat, basically, mm. is what it was. Yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy one, and I think that's why I'm excited about having these sort of open, honest conversations because yeah. I know there's going to be you know thousands of people out there, millions of people, which will resonate with the same sort of experience of literally just like hating their lives, yeah. you know, feeling just zero value, zero worth judging themselves constantly constantly putting yourself down and, and like we just sort of said if you're spending all that time hating yourself thinking all these negative thoughts then your external reality is, again is just going to validate all of that yep. if you go out and allow it to which then just knocks you down even lower and lower and lower and then of course you've got the label of well I'm, I'm a depressive I suffer from depression and mental health so then you're telling yourself that you're ill mm. so then it's like okay well this is the role right yeah. this is what we're going to be I'm ill yep. and yeah, I, I don't really need to do anything about it because now I know I'm ill. So I'll just stay ill. And it's crazy, you know, I mean, I remember, I remember going to the doctors years and years and years ago um, when my first marriage broke down and um, sat in the office and, you know, in floods of tears, just sort of opening up in a very awkward sort of way. And the doctor just sort of sitting there, just listening and just going, well, I'm just, I'll just give you a prescription for diazepam and, you know, just take a couple of those every day and we'll, we'll check in with you in three months' time. Yeah. I think I destroyed the entire pack of diazepam they gave me in a, in a weekend um, just to try and remove the pain. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's no, there's no real support, is it? It's just like, go to the doctor, you've got 10 minutes to sort of try and discuss what your, your issues are. There's no specialist help particularly and it's just like, well, just have these drugs and just get back to the life which is creating all this chaos in the first place. I um, I went to the doctors a couple of years ago. It was, it was very deep into a very dark time of my life and I thought, well, I'm actually going to go and get some proper medical help, see what I can do. And I went and I told them I was having these homicidal, suicidal thoughts and he was like, right, okay, well, here's 100 milligrams of sertraline. See you in a bit. Come back and see me in two weeks. Like, right, okay, let's give that a go. Went home. Wow. <laughs> Seven days of that, and I wanted to kill everybody I saw. I couldn't leave the house. Just curled up in a ball of pain. Went back to the doctor. Told him what had been going on. Oh, no, that was it, actually. He said... 
he said, oh, I want you to come back in two weeks, but I'm on holiday, so you can come and see my colleague, and I'll um, I'll put on the notes everything you've told me, but it's going to scare the shit out of her. Uh, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> so, so everything, I've just opened myself to you and told you all of these things that I've never told anybody before, and you've just turned it into a joke. How is that going to help somebody who's thinking about ending their life it's crazy but do you know what that just absolutely validates what we were just discussing before we came on air about you know these the problem is with these health professionals who have never done any healing of their own so then she she can't cope with someone who's sort of projecting you know suicidal thoughts and energy on her because she's she can't cope and you know this is someone who's gone through seven years of medical training if not more Mm. and you've got another person just joking about it oh it's going to scare the shit out of her yeah well, I suggest you let me see a doctor who's, who can process and deal with it. <laughs> Absolutely. But when you're in that, that space and time, that's not the kind of thing you, you come back with. You just add it to your lack of self-worth. And it just confirms it and just makes you feel even more like you want to just not be here anymore, basically. Mm. Yeah, that was weird. That was a really weird experience. That whole going to the doctors and trying to get help thing. Yeah, since, since since my since that since that diazepam experience with my doctor, that was qu- that was a number of years ago. I've never I've never seen a doctor since. No, me either. Never. They, they can't help. They don't have the resources. They don't they don't have the understanding. No. You know, a GP just a general practitioner. They they they've just studied a little bit of medicine on all levels. Yeah. And then they're just sitting there. And the number of times I've been in with GPs and they're having to scroll through their books. Oh, oh what, what, and you're just like, dude, this is your job. It must be so hard for them. It's very hard. It is very hard, you know, because they, they, they don't have the training. They don't have the training at all. One person comes in and goes, oh, I've sprained my ankle. And then five minutes later, someone comes in and goes, I want to kill my entire family. And that's, that's a huge, <laughs> a huge difference in problems. Yeah, right. And you've just got to jump from one to the other. 80-year-old lady for her, her, her flu jab, a kid who's sprained his ankle, and then, dude, I'm going to kill everybody I know. Yeah, You're even like, you. Yeah, even you. <laughs> just get this guy out of the office. Yeah. Give him these. <laughs> Give him these. What was, the, what was the drug you mentioned that he gave you? Sertraline. Do you know what? I think I heard on the radio this morning that, uh, I think they were discussing it, where they were saying, oh, it will actually make you more depressed. Hmm. It felt like an ecstasy come down. Oh, God. So that complete having serotonin sucked out of you, that I used to feel like my jaw was made of chalk almost and just this ache in your bones. And I was taking this thing that was supposed to fix me and it made me feel like two days after a rave when I was 17. God, those MDMA come downs. Yeah. So it's a week. Well, I was I took them for a week, maybe two weeks. I can't even really remember. Maybe it was a month. I don't know. But it was however long it was. It was a permanent ecstasy come down. And anybody that has experienced an ex- ecstasy come down does not want that for a week or two or three or four. I, I've I've only experienced one really bad ecstasy come down, and it was because a few years ago when I first moved to London, and I had you know. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't earning a lot of money. It's the first time I saw it in London, you know, after after my divorce and everything like that. So London was tough. It was brutal and all this sort of jazz. And then my younger brother invited me to go and stay with him for Christmas. 
And he said to me, he said, um, he said, just bring a party bag, <laughs> right? So I took a load of MDMA with me, and uh, we literally did MDMA every single day for about five days oh. over Christmas. Had an amazing Christmas, <laughs> really, really nice time with him. But then afterwards, between Christmas and New Year, a friend of mine had sort of said, look, I'm going away, so can you look after my house? I was like, yeah, man, it's a beautiful house, you know, TVs in every room, I'm just going to smoke, chill, and Netflix kind of thing. Yeah. And my God, I went through a week of just this horrendous come down where I was just in tears. Mm. I contemplated killing myself probably 20, 30 times a day. Yeah. I had to phone up my baby brother and say, dude, you're going to have to come and stay with me because I'm like in a really, really shit space. And um, yeah, I don't think I really sort of touched MDMA properly since then because I mean, it just made me feel like hell. Oh, even the thought of it now makes me feel like I want to come down, to be honest. Yeah, brutal. Brutal yeah. brutal if you overuse it and abuse it like I did, for sure. Same um, with anything, really. Yeah. Use it, don't abuse it. I did it with weed for 20 years. Started in a good place, like, like we were discussing earlier. Like, as a child, I went to bed every day till I was 16, 17 years old, something like that. Discovered marijuana at an age and almost immediately stopped that horrific thing that had controlled my entire childhood. And I thought, wow, this is a wonder drug. And then everything from that point onwards, I could cure with weed. So I just smoked weed all the time and I couldn't go without it. Do you know what? I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting point that I, I notice with a lot of people it's all in the cannabis community where it is like cannabis is the wonder drug to cure everything. Mm. And I, I, I was in the same boat. I used to think that a lot. Mm. You know, yeah, well, if I'm stressed, if I'm this, I'm that, I can just have a smoke and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you feel better. But I think with cannabis, what it does is sort of like on an energetic frequency level, it sort of resonates the same as acceptance. So it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You come home, you're stressed from work, and you're like, God, I've just had the worst bloody day of my life. Smoke a joint. Three minutes later, you're just like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. You've accepted it. Absolutely. But the problem is with accepting stuff which is incongruent to your life, continually doing it, you're just, you're just pushing down mm. these problems, these issues that you have. You're running away from, you're hiding, you're masking, all of this sort of stuff. And what I realized, you know, I was aware at 20, 21 years old when I did this amazing course in London that I was just riddled with shit. Yeah like mental health issues, problems from my childhood and all this sort of jazz. And I remember going, you know, sort of 21, 22, just going, I really need to try and sort this out. But I had absolutely no idea what that looked like, how to do it. I certainly was not going to go and discuss my mental health issues with anybody. Yeah. You know, as a 21-year-old guy, you know, it's, it's, it's going out with your mates, girls and booze, right? That, that was the kind of thing. And yeah. this sort of banterish kind of male camaraderie of you know oh well, you know we're tough we don't suffer from anything i mean i never once discussed my mental health issues with my closest friends and i remember when i was at sixth form college and this is i think this is when it really hit me once when i was just like ah oh, god you know this is this is a very real issue for people we'd gone out for a friend's birthday party this guy we called spoon 
lovely, lovely guy. And on Thursday, we'd all gone out. Thursday night, student night, gone out and got absolutely wasted, smoked loads of weed, had a really, really great night with Spoon. Fucking great night, you know, all night. Straight away, partied all the way through till dawn. Saturday was his birthday. Saturday morning, he hung himself. Man. He hung himself in his bedroom at home. He didn't leave a note, nothing. And I remember hearing the news and just going, we were like hugging and embracing each other and just talking about life and what we're going to be doing and girls and you know just everything that you do, you talk about when you're 18 years old. And 48 hours later, he hung himself from a beam in his bedroom on his birthday. And this guy was the happiest motherfucker I've ever met. Yeah. Never depressed, always up for a laugh, always got a sense of humour, always telling jokes, always full of energy. And I was just like, oh my God. I remember going to his funeral and just being like, I, 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 I can't believe this has even happened. Don't get it. No. You know, and then his parents are sort of like, well, you guys were with him, you know, two days before. You know, what happened? What did he take? You know, da 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 And we're like... I think we're just having a laugh. He was fine. He was fine. You know, he never said anything. Never. That's the problem, isn't it? He never said anything. But we see this, don't we? We see we see this in society. I mean, look, Robin Williams. Yeah. This absolute genius comedian. This guy who spent his entire career making other people laugh. Yeah. But absolutely crippled with the worst type of depression and mental health issues, and he's just like, and and on paper with everything. A multi-millionaire, live yep. it, living in Hollywood, could do anything he wanted. He living could, the dream. Yeah, living the dream. With enough money in the bank, he could quit and go and live in the Himalayas and do whatever the fuck he wanted, step away from his society. Yeah. But he couldn't, and he took his own life. And he's just like... External validation, almost, I guess. That other people laughing at you, trying to make you feel better about yourself. But then... It wears off at the end of the day when you go home and nobody's laughing at you anymore because it's just you with your in thoughts. your house, in your head. In your head. Dealing with all of that shit. That's tragic. I mean, it, 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 it breaks my heart just sort of thinking about, you know, I mean, I did a video the other day, you know, 18 people today in the UK are going to kill themselves. Oh. Yeah. 75% of that will be men. I know. It's a horrible thing. 18 people every single day on average and that, and that statistic is growing year on year year on year when we live in a society where actually life has technically never been as good mm. we've never been safer we've never been more secure we've never had more resources we, you know majority of us in the UK will have somewhere warm to sleep we will have electricity we'll have internet we'll have access to food hot water of course not everybody but the majority of us really do yeah. you know even if we are you know, on the breadline, you know, living in a, in, a, in a block, like just over the road from me, they've still got that security. Yeah. Yeah. It's suicide. It's a scary place to be. I was there three, four months ago. <laughs> uh, woke up one morning and thought, yeah, I'm done. That's me. I'm, I'm done. My marriage had broken down maybe a week or two before. Um, I was with my little boy and I woke up and I thought, right, I'm going to go to my mum and dad's 
and he'll be safe there. So we got up as normal, had a shower, had some breakfast, got in the car, went over to my parents, and I literally kissed him goodbye. And off I went, took myself off for a walk to to not exist anymore. And I didn't, obviously, because I'm here now talking about it, but yeah. How do you get to that? Still, I can't fathom it now. I literally kissed my boy goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Scary, right? So scary that I could have left him with that, left him without a father. That's the scary part, the scariest part of it, that I could have, I could have put my shit onto his life by making that choice. And I think, I still don't really know because I still spend a lot of time thinking about it. But I think he was probably the force that prevented it from happening. There was something inside me that said, you cannot do this to him. <laughs> yeah. It's challenging. It's, it's really it's, hard, man. It's, 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 it's really challenging. I mean, over the last, over the last year since my, my big sort of ayahuasca experience which really showed me my absolute darkest deepest truth I've, I've, I've contemplated it I've, I've found myself during the transition of sort of sorting out my mental health stopping the drinking and reintegrating back into this this, this different world that I find myself in yeah I mean for the first first two three months I, 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 I really struggled. I, I, I was up and down like a yo-yo. You know, I, was, I went for a stage where I was sleeping probably just two hours a day. Mm. Um, got mad into fitness and, you know, I was probably doing three or four runs a day, you know, covering sort of 30, 40 kilometers. Just had to be outside, just keeping myself busy. And never wanting to come back to the house. Yeah. I didn't want to come back to the house. And... You know, in the evenings you come back and you just be, it, it was tough. And a number of occasions, you know, I, I, pacing around the pacing around at night, just going, I don't want to be here any longer. I don't, mm. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be this person. I don't, I don't, I don't like this any longer. And I think that's it. I don't want to be this person anymore. Yeah. So you think the only way to not be that person anymore is to end your physical existence mm. but you can just change the person that you want to be that's 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 been a realization for me is that and you know also. yeah because i mean for years i mean what i realized and, and this was the beautiful thing about plant medicine is that it does it shows you so much about yourself and um it makes you realize that a lot of the characteristics a lot of the personality a lot of the the elements that made up my character, which I believed to be me, actually weren't me at all. They were projections from 
my parents, projections from society, projections from my school. And that's been a really liberating experience to sort of understand going, you're feeling like this because of this experience in the past. Yeah. That past experience had nothing to do with you. You, no. were, you were just a child and you just got tangled up in the bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. And that created these belief structures, these patterns, these programs. And those programs, these patterns have just been running in the background constantly. You know, at that time, they were created to keep you safe. You know, so for me, this lack of presence, I created that because I found life very painful when I was younger, going through my parents' divorce. I had a really challenging time at school. I, I absolutely hated school. Yeah. My teachers were all ex-army, mm. uh, mainly male. You know, they're all screwed up in the, the, themselves, you know, egos, fear. And, you know, they would abuse us. Not, I mean, I was never abused physically. I mean, my, my headmaster actually was jailed. I mean, he, they actually worked out he was a paedophile in the end. It's pretty dark. Yeah. Um, but there was, this, there was this culture of abuse. And, um, you know, as I said, I was one of the lucky, the lucky boys who never, I was never sexually abused. But, you know, I was physically abused and I was emotionally abused. Yeah. And I remember talking about this, I think when I was in Italy, this, this whole new memory came back of trauma, which I, I'd never, never even thought of consciously. I, I couldn't even remember it. And when it came up, I was just like, oh my God. But it's a huge element which created a huge amount of confidence issues, self-worth, fear. And it all stemmed around playing sports on a Friday and it was winter time, so we'd obviously got muddy, sort of playing rugby or football, whatever we were doing at the time. And it was the end of school, and um, we'd have these huge sort of communal showers. And the idea of jumping in a communal shower with 30 other kids, butt naked, just made me feel just very insecure. Oh, me too, I, I, man. <laughs> I didn't like the idea of it. You know, I wasn't body confident. No. Um, you know, because I'd been bullied at school by... I was bullied at school by this fat kid, right, who would just constantly sort of jive me for being too skinny. And I really took all of that on board and I really believed in it. So I was just like, the idea of getting butt naked in a shower is just like, there's no way. So I'd hide in the back of the change rooms, quickly try and get changed, pretend I'd have a shower, you know, put a bit of water in your hair. And wash your knees. Wash your knees. Yeah. And then just get the towel like, wet. Yeah, I'm just going to dive out to the car, get home, and I, I can have a nice bath, safe yeah. at home, right? There was this young sports teacher who was a complete arsehole. And he saw me do this and he was just like, you're, you're getting in the shower. It's just like, and I kicked off. I, I kicked off like any sort of like eight, I think I was eight, eight and a half, nine. And I kicked off and, you know, I was just like, no, you know, got upset. And this, this guy, I mean, he was built like a brick shit house, stripped me, stripped me bare. He didn't throw me in the empty showers where my age group was. No. He chucked me in a shower with the 17, 18-year-old boys. Bit of sport. A bit of sport. And then he mocked me in front of all these other kids. And they all started mocking me. And then it was the wet towels being spun in the water and then whipping. Yeah. Which I don't know if anyone's experienced that. It is incredibly painful. Oh, yeah. I used to yeah. get it in the kitchen. Yeah. And they'd dip it in oil and yeah. whip me while I was washing up. Agony. Agony. And I'd suppressed this huge trauma of just shame, embarrassment, low self-esteem for years. But that program had just been running in the background for years, just holding me back, 
constantly holding you back, creating doubt all the time. Fear and doubt, fear and doubt, fear and doubt. And he just makes you realize just the carnage that people can project onto you. Mm. And then you carry it through for the rest of your life. Yeah. This guy probably doesn't even remember doing it. No, of course he doesn't. He'd probably be mortified if I pulled him up now about it. <laughs> yeah. I remember bumping into one of my teachers, this old history teacher, right? Ex-naval intelligence officer, Welsh bastard. <laughs> Nothing against the Welsh. Not, no, love, love the Welsh, love the Welsh. Uh, but this guy was a, a, a complete narcissist. And he'd walk around the front of the classroom with this golf club. And if you weren't listening, he'd jab the golf club under the table to try and get you in the balls. Wow. And if you were out of range, say, at the back of the classroom, you'd get that wooden board rubber yeah. hurled at you. Yeah. And, you know, just, I mean, horrendous way to behave. Yeah. Our maths teacher used to throw board pens at us, but then we were not very nice to him, to be fair. So it was kind of our own fault. We deserved every minute of it. I was just too terrified. At my age, I was, I was so lacking confidence. I just sat there shaking just terrified to put my hand up, terrified to ask a question, just terrified. Terrified for the response. Yeah. Yeah. Our past does not define us. We are not our past. Not at all. I spent my whole life not wanting to be my dad. I, I say no, actually. I'll correct myself there. Not wanting to be my sperm donor. Um because he wasn't my dad he just provided that to create me my dad was my stepdad's my dad um, he brought me up he looked after me um, but my sperm donor was not very pleasant he was abusive to my mother um, never abusive to me by all accounts um, but I basically spent my whole life not wanting to be like him but that was always a very kind of present thought in my mind. That every When I'm a dad, I don't want to be like him. But by having that thought, you're holding on to that. When you could just shape the dad you want to be instead of the dad you don't want to be. Mm. Which I never did. Now I do. Now I know the dad I want to be. And yet it still isn't the dad he was, but I don't think about him. I don't compare my fathering to how he behaved. It's, yeah, and you can hold on to that for 36 years, spend every day thinking about it. Don't want to be like him, don't want to be like him, don't want to be like him. And why even think about it? But then we're not taught not to think about it. So you just think about it. Mm. But the thing is with, with, with that, is that as soon as you engage in a past memory, you're back there. Oh yeah. You're back in the past. All that pain comes yeah. back. And that keeps you trapped. When you're not evolving, you're not growing, you're not expanding, you're not going forward because you're constantly living in the past. So you're constantly time traveling back to that point. And as we sort of said earlier before we came online was that, you know, as soon as you, you think the past, you'll physically feel the past. You'll, mm. you'll conjure up all of those same emotions because your brain, as soon as you engage in that memory, it doesn't know the difference between real life, you're experiencing it and thinking it because it's really happening to you in the here and now, to a past memory. So it will react exactly the same way. It sends off all the same chemical responses. So you get all that fear, you get all that anxiety, you get all that worry, concern, all that horrible, horrible, that deep pitted 
sensation in your stomach coming up into your chest and it was it tightens yeah and that's you that's me that's that's us creating those situations because we're going back and tapping into the past because mm. the past no longer exists no absolutely and that's the thing which took it, it you know it was a real sort of revelation for me was that the past no longer exists mate all of that shit you're holding on to doesn't exist no it's gone boom but you're keeping it alive in yourself because you haven't healed from it. You haven't been able to let this go. You haven't been able to heal it or let it go because as a society, we don't talk about this. No. We don't teach people. At school, you know, we're too busy teaching our kids about, you know, fake history and, <laughs> yeah. you know, other BS. Instead of just going, you know what, kids, in this life, you are going to experience sadness, depression and, you know, fear and anxiety. failure and anxiety. And, and actually, we're going to do terms and teach you how to process and deal with this shit. Yeah. No, what's more important is that you can you can read and write, you can become a productive member of society, which basically means you earn money and you pay tax. <laughs> and we'll sell you we'll sell you this thing is that this is a life. This is this is a life. This is how you should exist. This is how you should exist. This is what you should do. Don't don't create your own existence. Don't do what you want to do. Do what we tell you what you should be doing. Mm. I can't tell you the number of clients that I have, you know, and on paper, these guys have ticked all boxes. They've gone through school, they've gone through uni, they've got the good job, they've got the money in the bank, the pretty wife, the cars, the houses, the kids. Yeah. And they get to about 40, 45, and they go, okay, I don't understand it. I've got a job that I've always dreamed of, but I secretly hate. <laughs> I've got everything that I thought I was told, that if I hit, hit all these targets, I tick all these boxes, I'm gonna be living in Nirvana. And actually, I don't, I don't feel that at all. And in actual fact, I've never felt so empty, so lost, so alone in my life. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, because you are living someone else's projection. Someone else has told you this is what you need to do. Yeah. You spent no time in that, in that time trying to work out what you actually want from your life. You think you want the job. You think you want the car. You think you want the pretty wife. But do you? But we think that because that's what all society is telling us. You know, to be, to be validated, you need to have a good job. You need to be a pillar of society. You need to be earning lots of money. You need to be driving around this nice car. Because that will, that will show you that you're successful, you're important, you're significant. Again, like we were talking about earlier, about the whole 100-year thing. 200, 200, 300 years ago, perhaps that wasn't a thing people weren't telling other people how they should live or this is what this is these are the good things in life these are the things that make you a success perhaps people just existed as they wanted to exist so mental health issues weren't issues no i mean you know obviously we don't have data from you know two yeah. two three hundred years ago it's impossible but, to know. but i would you know i would agree with you i think I think life presented different challenges, you know, obviously. But like I sort of said earlier, you know, considering we now live, you know, you and I live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. The fact that I've got internet, food in my fridge, hot water, you know, some money in the bank means I'm in the top wealthiest 5% of the world. Yeah. Right. I mean, how, how nuts is that? I'm in the top 5% of the most privileged people on this planet. Yeah. And yet at times I've just been like, 
fuck this. I, I, I hate my life. What, what, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? And then you see these, you know, then you see these kids like, you know, I was watching a video of a friend of mine had been filming in Syria and he was filming these kids playing football in the streets. These kids have nothing. They're, they're, they're kicking around some sort of sack they've made themselves as a football. And all you can see on these kids' faces is just smiles. Yeah. They're so present. But yeah, exactly, because they exist in the, in the present. They're so present. And I think this is the problem with a lot of the Western society is that we, we spend so much time in our heads. And we're spending time in our heads worrying. Yes. Thinking negative. It's not like we're spending all of our time in our heads going, oh my God, you know what? I am absolutely amazing. My life is fantastic. I am so appreciative of all that I have. I'm just so full of gratitude. I'm so full of unconditional love. It's not. It's like, I don't have enough. Mm. I need more of that. To yeah. be happy, I need all of these things. I want more of what other people have. Yeah. Yeah. I look at the hit. I want to be him. I want to be him. I want to be him. Yeah. I don't I just want to be myself. It's crazy. And you don't even, you don't even know what these people are like. I remember I've got a friend of mine and, um, you know, exceptionally successful businessman. I mean, you know, has made more money than sense, <laughs> but he is just so desperately lost. Yeah. He's so desperately lost. He's so riddled with anxieties and fears. He's just an absolute prisoner of his mind. And he has the resources to literally change the planet. Yeah. I mean, currently, I am probably in, I'm probably more financially screwed, shall we say, than I've ever been in my entire life. But I actually feel pretty fucking good. I have bad days, obviously, but I feel more like myself than I ever have because I I'm constantly trying to live in the present now I don't think about all of the shit that's happened for 36 years because yeah it is completely irrelevant I have to make the right choice now and that if I make the right choice now and I make the next right choice and the next right choice I'm winning absolutely and the thing is is that when you are when you are present genuinely present just being in the here and now that is when you do have infinite amount of resources and opportunities yeah. ahead of you yeah but as long as you're still bouncing back to the past or yeah. trying to project or predict the future you're you're out of alignment because you, the only place you can create the only place you can really create change positive change in your life is when you're present yeah otherwise it's you know, it's, it's, it's confusing because, you know, you're still bouncing back to the past, which means you're still taking yourself back to how you were 20, 30 years ago. You know, and like, I think it was Einstein who said it. He's like trying to, you can't, you can't create changes, you know, from the same level of consciousness that created the problems. You know, so if you keep going back to the past, living in your head, then you're stuck. Because you're, you're, you're reinvesting in that energy. You're, you're going back into that dance. Mm. Whereas actually what you do want is you, want to, you need to create new energy, new circumstances, new situations, a new you, a new story, a new script. And when you start doing that, then you'll start experiencing the changes. But you've got to create movement. You've got to move towards what you want instead of constantly going backwards to what you don't want. Because as soon as you invest in that going backwards, 
well you're exactly there you're, you're backwards you've gone yeah. back it's the same with forward thinking as well you don't live too far in, into the future because you can go oh well I want to be this I want to be that I want to do this I want to do that which is all well and good it's good to have a plan and it's good to have a goal to move towards but I mean I'm I've been guilty of that for very many years just going right I wake up in the morning and go I want to do this in 10 years time oh what's the point of thinking that why don't I just think I want to do this in 10 minutes time because that's going to achieve a lot more than making a plan for 10 years time because again you're just taking yourself out of the present putting yourself in a dream world like creating a false existence for yourself that you think is going to make you feel happy and then guess what yeah it doesn't because it doesn't happen it doesn't happen yeah exactly that it's exactly exactly none of that's happened yeah it doesn't happen but then what you it goes back to the storytelling we're we're absolute master storytellers and alchemists of our own physiology is that you're going to go right in 10 years time i'm going to be this person i'm going to have this i'm going to have that but then you don't make any steps towards moving to create that but in your mind you've created this scenario you're creating what it's going to feel like you don't fucking achieve it so what happens boom you plummet because then it's just like I can't achieve anything I did that 10 years ago I met my wife and I met her and immediately like the minute she walked through the door on our first date I was like I'm going to marry that girl and that was brilliant I was in the present and it happened we got married and we enjoyed our relationship for a long time and I just I looked I wanted to be a certain person and I wanted her to be a certain person and I wanted certain things from our marriage and I wanted to have a specific job or whatever it was in 10 years time and this as I sit here now is the 10 years time from that point and none of those things have happened because I decided what I wanted but I did absolutely nothing to make it happen I just thought well that's what I want to be it'll happen I don't have to put any effort in. I don't have to... I come home from work and instead of saying hello to my wife and asking her how her day was, I'd be like, I can't talk to you. I need to go outside and smoke a joint. And then remove all of the emotion from myself and then I could go and talk to my wife. I mean, what a fucked up mindset that is. And surprise, surprise... I'm no longer with her. And even that was somebody else's fault. But uh, to a point, it's, it clearly isn't. I've very much held my hands up and not been emotionally present throughout the entirety of my marriage. But you just have to, you just have to learn from that, I guess. And I now, as much as it's a shame that we're not together and certain situations aren't as I would like them to be I can't dwell on that because I'll end up back by the river or whatever I just have to now make the best of everything that happens as it happens and yeah just take each day as it comes I'm not living 10 years behind and I'm not living 10 years in front I'm living now and it's hard sometimes but it's also very very rewarding to wake up, I wake up, sometimes I wake up with a bit of noise in my head, but I can think away the noise now. I can, I understand it more now. Mm. 
but sometimes I wake up and I don't have any noise in my head. I wake up and I hear the birds or I hear the cat asking for food. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible journey over the last three, four months to go from, to go from 10 years either side of my actual present day existence to now beautiful sometimes waking up and feeling alive oh mate I totally agree with you like like we were sort of discussing um, <clears throat> before for me you know very similar to you I mean I just had I live with this I describe it as a, as a toxic soup mm, absolutely of emotions and just negative self talk and self hatred and, yeah. and self denial and shame and embarrassment and fear and this, 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 yeah, this, this whole sound system of craziness would just be so loud in my head that the only way I could sort of get rid of it was to start drinking at ten o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> yeah. Get up at six in the morning and smoke two joints before you've even thought about having a cup of coffee. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic. And and the, the crazy thing is, is that you know how many people out there listening to this do exactly the same mm. and they'll recognise it they'll, they'll know it they'll know it in their hearts but they just feel so emotionally and physically stuck yeah in that situation they can't see the wood for the trees they're just deep in that rut yeah well I hope it if somebody can listen to me your average Joe as it were waffling on about my shit <laughs> if it if it flicks a switch in somebody's head, that's exactly the reason I'm sat here today. Well, I think this is why these conversations are so important because, you know, and this is why I like talking about it because people, especially in this day and age, you know, with the, the, the era of social media, you know, people always just, there's a lot of lies, isn't there? People sort of live these, these sort of existences and they put it on social media and, you know, on the face of it, you think these people are having perfect existences. But in reality, that, that, that smiling photo is just a, it's just a moment. Yeah, it's one of probably 30 photos they took to try and find the one that looked the prettiest or the best. Or Do you know what, right? I was talking to a colleague not so long ago, um, who, uh, a psychologist, and he said that he's dealing with more and more children now, or teenagers, and with social media seems to be such a huge issue. So he said, especially like with girls, you know, and boys, of course, it's, it's non-exclusive. But the average, so if they're going to do a post, to put a photo up, they'll take on average around 100 photos of themselves, wow. which they will just go through. Then they're going to edit. Yeah. You're going to put filters on. You're going to do all this stuff, you know, non-blemishes, clean your teeth, do your eyes, all this sort of stuff. They'll put it online. And if that photo doesn't get a certain amount of likes in a certain period of time, which they're pre-designed, then they'll remove that photo. <laughs> the damage there is that they're trying to portray something that they're not. Mm. And they know this, and that's why they've taken that 100 photos, they've flicked through it, they've done this. And they're, they're desperately seeking this validation. And they're seeking validation for something which isn't really real. You know, you're putting, you're putting a picture up on social media, and just because it doesn't get a certain amount of likes, whatever that is, it could be, I don't know, they might be looking for 20 likes, they might be looking for 1,000 likes but they're still looking for that validation, that external validation. And this is the tragedy, is that anything which externally validates you can be taken away. 
And as soon as it's taken away, you collapse. Mm. And this is why we've got to create a society who don't need that external validation because you already have everything inside of you. Yeah. And this is what I've learned on my journey is that I can now control 95% of the time my entire experience. I can manipulate my emotions. If I, if I feel myself lowering my vibration, I can change that. I can change that through thought alone, just going back or, you know, going back into future, into past positive memories and experiences yeah. or projecting slightly into the future to things that I know that I'm going to obtain. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really, really scary thing where the majority of people in society are constantly looking for external validation. And that's a really dangerous place to be because all of that external validation can be instantly removed. And when it's instantly removed, your entire identity, your belief system, your support structure collapses. Yeah. And where do you find yourself? Pacing around a flat, thinking about how you might kill yourself because yeah. your life is shit. Stood by a river. Stood by a river thinking, am I going to walk into that and not come out? Yeah. You know, and this is, this is, the, this is the tragedy is that, you know, society isn't helping mental health. You know, we, we live in this very, very fake society. Absolutely. You know, my, my wife actually had a really interesting conversation with one of her clients. And one of her clients was, uh, in, in the 80s, was this famous sort of, uh, you know, musician. So in the 80s, did really, really well, but obviously now is, as she described herself, a much more normal person, lost, <laughs> lost a lot of the money and stuff like that. But she was saying, and, and especially in London, she said, we're all walking around in designer clothes with big smiles on our faces, deep in debt, desperately trying to portray that we're something that we're not. We're looking again for that constant external validation from society. Oh, he drives that car. He must be successful. He must be happy. He's wearing that clothes. He's got, she's got that lovely handbag. Mm. All this bullshit, yeah. which is absolutely meaningless. I remember for years, it'd be like, oh, you know, if I drive this car, I've made it, I'm gonna feel like this. And you know, I was very fortunate, you know, was able to, you know, drive the car of my dreams. And you know, you know what, for the first eight weeks, I felt like the dog's bollocks. <laughs> but then very quickly, it was just a car. Yeah, it's just a means to get from A to B. Yeah. You could just walk. Yeah, a car which just caused me stress and worry and, oh, I can't park it here, someone's gonna break into it. all this rubbish. Yeah, and then it breaks down and it costs you a fortune and <sighs> you get yourself into more debt and then just all, yeah. Madness. Very much the same with me, not with cars, but say, oh, I've got I've got the latest iPhone, so I must have an iPad. And in fact, both of us need an iPad, so we'll get two iPads. Oh, and then because I've got an iPad, I must have a Mac, because obviously you've got to have a Mac if you've got an iPad and an iPhone, because then they can all talk to each other. But I can't I can't take my Mac with me, so I'll get a laptop. The laptop's got to be an Apple one as well. It could have been anything. It doesn't have to be Apple, but you know what I'm saying. And yeah, I'll have all of these things. And then I think, well, it's cost me three grand. Yeah. I don't, I don't have three grand. I just spent three grand on just shit that'll break. <laughs> or yeah, in a year's time be completely worthless. Yeah. No, I... I, I doesn't make you happy. I hear you. I've fallen into those same traps so many times. It's horrible. It's very nice not to think like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, plant, plant medicine's shifted all that. 
for me massively. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think my um steps back into plant medicines and also steps away from plant medicines and in inverted commas being the huge amounts of marijuana I smoked for twenty years. Um but just it's finding a balance, isn't it? I think. Definitely opened my eyes to a more purer way of existing. Um, and the adventures into plant medicines that I'm going to be embarking on very soon. And basically, I like to look at myself as a, a bunch of Lego, as random Lego, different colours, different shapes, different sizes, all just been mashed up together. I'm going to unbuild the, the Lego mashup and create some kind of uniformed structure. Well, I think, um, you know, like you sort of say, you're coming, you're coming to Italy with me next month. I certainly am. To, um, to come and experience what changed Boone. <laughs> Very brave of you. Yeah. Very brave. But I, I, I love the Lego analogy um, because that, that's something you hear a lot of people talk about when they go through these, these deeps or plant medicine experiences. And you ask people how they feel afterwards and it's just like, you know, a lot of the terms of, you know, oh, I feel, I feel like a new person. I feel like I've had a reset, a reboot, clear out, you know, and it's, plant medicines aren't the, aren't a, aren't a magical pill. Not at all. Um, You've got to do the work alongside it. You, ha- you have to do the work. But what plant medicines will show you, they, they will show you the areas that you need to work on. That you need to work on. And then if you do work on those and you really go to work on them, they will disappear and your your life will be so different. If I look at my life, you know, it's coming up to you know, a year next month, you know, from what I call my big sort of transition. I, I, I don't even recognise my life now. I don't, I don't, I talked to my mentor about this. I said, I don't, I don't recognise that old version of me. Like I said earlier, she's just like, well, it, it wasn't you. It was, it was only a, a, a tiny proportion of you. She said, you weren't really here. You, had, you, you dissociated from this experience and you were busy trying to cope with trauma and past issues. Um, and now, you know, being, yeah, pretty much 100% present all the time, mm. you know, being in this, the, the moment of now, you realize that you just got so much more control over your existence because as I said earlier, it's, it's, in, it's always in this present moment, just as you sort of said when you first met your wife, when she walked through and you're just, because you're present, you, you know, you're looking at somebody that you adore and you, you, you're creating feelings for. Yeah. You're like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And it does. And it's, it's, it's from this creation point of presence yeah. that we can really change our lives. But we don't talk about this as society. And because everyone lives in the past or projecting into the future, very very few people are ever present you know the majority of people will have to go through meditation and stuff like that to become this present sort of state and when I talk about being present to clients they're just like they, they don't have a clue what you're talking about they're like what what's what this present emotion and it's just being hmm. in the here and now where you're just completely still absorbing everything around you where you are wherever that is yeah yeah, it's a beautiful feeling. It's an empowering feeling. It's yeah. a very, very empowering feeling, I find. 
and it's a feeling that I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to sort of help more people experience. Oh, me too. More and more experience because, you know, once you step out of this, this matrix, and it really is, it, re- it really does feel like you step out of this, this dream world because this is like the dream. Everyone going through it in the past, present, they're, 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 they're the dreamers, they're, they're, they're asleep. Mm. And you have to wake up and realize that you know, you're not your past. You're certainly not your past behaviors. Those are just moments in time which no longer exist. Don't code your identity. Don't believe you're something because of something that happened decades ago. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Don't allow that to define you moving forward. For me, I mean, you know, my, my past just stopped me. It stopped me from ever really truly expressing who I really was. And then you just live a lie because you're out of, you know, you're, you're out of alignment with yourself. Yeah. Living a lie. That definitely, definitely resonates with me. I definitely do. I have the ability now to do what I want to a certain extent or not what I want, but be the person that I actually want to be my authentic self, the person that I know I am, which is, I like to think of loving, compassionate, empathetic, giving soul. And I've, for whatever reason, believed that that isn't me for a very, very long time now. I don't know why, but we'll work on that one. We'll work on that one in Italy, mate. We certainly will. I think you'll be, I think you'll be surprised just the sort of um, the answers, uh, more insights. Yeah, I'm definitely not looking for answers. I think I've, I spent a long time expecting answers, and that I've not asked the questions. So, where am I going to get the answers from? It's, uh, what I want to do is ask the questions. Yeah. And then I'll answer them myself. Yeah, that's what I did with I, a little bit of plant power. Yeah, that's what that's that's all I did last year. I, I went in and every single night I did the ayahuasca. I wrote down one to three areas I wanted to really sort of focus on and try to understand. Being plant medicine, being unpredictable, they didn't they didn't necessarily follow my my nice human list that I'd created. <laughs> yeah. um, but it gave me exactly. There's a saying on the retreats, it's always, we always sort of say, plant medicines never give you what you want. They give you what you need. Yes. And the two are a lot of the time very, very different. Because a lot of the time you don't realise what you want. Well, yeah, this we is don't realise what we want because we don't, we don't know what we're looking for. So if you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to know even if you find it. And this, this, this leads to this constant frustration in life. And... Um, I was on this really amazing sort of business accelerator course in Poland a couple of weeks ago yeah. where I did my talk and um, the guy who runs it he talks it he calls it the white rabbit syndrome where you know the game's been set up it's a bit like race hounds going around a track do they ever catch the, the rabbit no because it's been set up that they can't catch the rabbit same thing you're chasing this rabbit you can see this this white tail bobbing around in front of you but because you don't really understand or you don't really know what the hell you're wanting or what you're looking for, you're never going to know when you find it. So then you're constantly searching. And if you're constantly searching, you're constantly telling yourself that you, you're, in, you're in lack. You do not have. And that is a totally different vibration to living in abundance when you realize that actually we could achieve 
anything we want. Mm. Um, and then when you just come from lack, scarcity, that's, 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 that's how your external world is going to play out. Because we really do. Our, our, our internal reality, how we feel, how we think about everything, will be expressed in the external. And I challenge clients to this because sometimes they, because it's quite a tricky concept to get your head around because you're never taught this sort of way of thinking. No. And I say to clients, I'm like, you don't have to believe me. I say, but promise me for a week, for 10 minutes every single morning you wake up and just focus on all the areas which are just causing you pain and worry and shit in your life and see how that week goes. But you've got to do it every single day. Dedicate your time to really investing in all that is going wrong, all that you are lacking. Mm. And you see how that week plays out. Then the week after, 10 minutes every day, focusing on everything you appreciate, everything you find gratitude, everything you love, everything that drives you, all your passions, and really, really tune into those experiences every single day. And you see how that week goes. They always come back and go, wow. wow. Most of the time they won't finish the first week because they'll very quickly after two or three days go, shit. This is real. This is real. This is real. And, and, and this, is, this is the point of self-empowerment when you realize that you can change just as easily as you can commit to a whole weekend of self-depression and listening to those tracks that make you upset. And, <laughs> you know, you, you, you create your weekend where I'm, oh, well, I'm depressed. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to eat my junk food, which I like. I'm going to watch my Netflix films. I'm going to drink. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to self-harm in many different ways. Yeah. You can just turn that switch. The same amount of energy you're focusing on taking yourself down and living in the past and feeling sorry for yourself when you're in victim mode. Mm. You can switch that energy and do exactly the same process, but for all positivity. And well, this is it. I try and these days I try and look at everything like a battery. So literally everything, including a battery, has a positive and a negative, and it's entirely your choice as to whether you choose the positive or the negative. Physical things, not physical things, whatever. Yeah. Just make the choice. Yeah. And, and, and understanding that you can reframe. You can attach any meaning to any given situation and instantly change it. Yeah. So you instead can... of waking up and going, oh, fuck, I've got to go to work. I hate my job. I hate my boss. Which as soon as you tell yourself that, that, that that's okay. Yeah, you yeah. have a shit day. You have a shit day. Your boss will probably be 10 times the arsehole he usually is. Yeah, you might hate your job and you might hate your boss, but you think, well, at the end of the day, I get to come home and see my wife and kids and I'll earn some money and that will allow me to do something positive with my life. And yeah. yeah, the shit in the middle doesn't really matter. It's a means to an end. Absolutely. And for me, one of the biggest things is to understand, for me personally, and again, I'm not projecting this on anybody else, but for me it really works, is the point when I truly understood and truly embodied the fact that in this human dualistic experience where we code everything as good, bad, right or wrong, for me, I've learned that actually, regardless of a situation, good, bad, right or wrong, depending on how I code it, <laughs> There is no such thing as good, bad, right and wrong because every human interaction, every experience that I have, even if I do tell myself the story, this is shit, I don't enjoy it, there's going to be a lesson. There's going to be a deep lesson involved in any situation you have, good, bad, right or wrong. 
So then once you start understanding, okay, right, I've had a really challenging day today. It's been really, really tricky. But if I look at this objectively, what have I learned? Yeah, absolutely. And if you're learning, doesn't matter if you're learning from bad experiences or good experiences. Yeah. You're learning. If you're learning, you're expanding. And if you're expanding, you're winning at life. Absolutely. Because you're constantly moving forward. You're growing. And it's about empowering yourself and recognizing that in this 3D reality we find ourselves in, we are governed by these sort of rules of duality, good, bad, right and wrong. That's how society is set up. But you don't have to play that game. You don't have to look at everything as good, bad, right or wrong. You can just go, this is a game. This is life. And take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. Don't take it too seriously. No, definitely don't do that. You know, I used to take life so seriously. Yeah. But because you took it so seriously, you put extra pressure. And because you're constantly pushing, you create excess potential. And the universe is all about balance. So if you keep pushing, 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 it will always push you back. And you see this with people, and I see this with clients in business, where they're like, do you know what, man? I spent 18 months pushing for this bloody deal to go through. Every single night, guess what? 11th hour, bang, it goes. Screws up. All gone. Yeah. You wasted 18 months of your life. Because you're pushing. You're pushing, and when you're pushing, you're coming from a point of fear and scarcity. I must get this done. I need this. I need this. And you see this. You see. I see this so many times when you, you you attach so much meaning to something, and then it just completely screws up. Yeah. Yeah. Try and hold on. Squeeze things too hard. Yeah. And you just they burst. It does, it, you know, I, a, a, simple, a simple analogy, you know, a situation which I had today with, with, with one of the dogs, Jack, the big Great Dane, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah. a, he's a 12 stone a horse, basically, right? <laughs> I mean, he weighs pretty much the same as me, so I mean, it's, a, it's an in, interesting battle where, you know, we're probably the same strengths, I mean. Yeah, let's do what you want now. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, he was, you know, he was, he, was, he was starting to get overly stimulated, overly excited, you know. And I mean, he can jump, you know. Yeah, as high as you. As high as me, right? So you've got to be careful. I mean, he's not going to hurt you on purpose. But I mean, if his head hits your jaw, I mean, he'll take out your teeth. Or if his claws get you in the face, you know, he's yeah. going to take your skin off. I mean, he's got huge claws. And you've got two choices. You could fight him mm -hmm. to try and control him grab him, hold him down to try and calm him down, or you just choose to ignore. You step back, you remove the level of importance. Yeah. And by doing that, by literally just changing my energy, changing my focus and going, actually, you know what? He'll just calm the fuck down by himself. Yeah. It's the same with my little boy. Yeah. Like, say you're in Tesco and he decides to have a meltdown in Tesco because he doesn't want to be in Tesco because who really wants to be in Tesco? Sorry, Tesco. <laughs> we're, actually, we're not sorry, Tesco. No, we're not at all. I don't want to be in Tesco. Um, if he decides he wants to have a tantrum, you can tell him to stop. You can tell him to be quiet. You can try and hold him down or whatever, and he's just going to have more of a tantrum. Or you just let him crack on with it, and in two minutes' time, the tantrum's over, and you just crack on with your day. Yeah. But why do you want to stop the tantrum? You want to stop the tantrum because you don't want other people to judge you because you think that if your child's having a tantrum, then that reflects on you as being a bad parent. It's got nothing to do with that at all. 
he's two yeah. he's three next week it's the same emotions as a teenager but you're in a two year old's body so they can't deal with it so they have a tantrum just let it go but you see this with parents, you know, I, I specialised working with children for years and years and years. And um, it's, it's exactly that. I, I always liken it to, to, you know, you've got your child who's kicking off having a tantrum. So he's creating a lot of energy. Mm. And then you see the parents come into that situation, angry, pissed off, yeah, desperate with, to control it with even more energy. Loads of energy. And then guess what? Those energies combine. And before you know it, you just see this absolute shitstorm of this parent-child sort of face-off. Instead, we're just like, all right, dude, well, you, you, you lie on the aisle. I'm going to go and pay, so I'll see you by the car, yeah? See you in a minute. And, you know, as soon as you walk around that top of the aisle, they'll be like, oh, shit, where's Dad gone? Running back around. Oh, well, you calm down now, have you? Yeah. Another thing I learned with, with that kind of a situation is a lot of... No, I'm not going to say a lot. I would look down on my child. My child is tiny. I'm six foot. So trying to reason with a two-year-old if that's even possible from say what five and a half feet above them looking down on this huge physical presence going don't do that don't do that it must be quite intimidating so i drop myself down to his level so my eyes are level with his eyes and i say dude tell me what's going on and the difference in the reaction is incredible because you've brought yourself down to down to his level you know what I mean by that um, and yeah it's just such a you get such a calmer response from that calmer approach rather than being authoritative and you mustn't do this just yeah it never works never works man I, I, I witnessed it yesterday I was uh, driving through Notting Hill and it's about the time you know the school runs so you got all the parents and kids trundling off to uh, to be educated and um misinformed misinformed yeah absolutely and there was this there was this mum you know with three kids and yeah they were playing her up you know just just being kids and yeah. she lost her shit in the middle of the high street i mean but like screaming at this child and i'm just like you've totally lost control yeah you're not getting that back. You have completely lost control and they will completely lose respect for you because of that. Instead of just literally just working out, right, why are they playing up? What What, what is going on? Yeah, because they've just finished school and they've been in a very strict environment for six hours or whatever it is these days. And it's a release. Mm. Just let them get on with it. Yeah. They're kids. Well, I think this is why we were so lucky, you know, it's sort of our sort of age group. I mean, I think a lot has changed. I think there's a lot more pressure on. I think there's a lot more pressure generally nowadays. Definitely. I think social media is a lot to blame for that. So do I. But I love social media. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to ever slam social media. I just think more people need to use it in a much more positive way instead of just using social media to perpetuate about their bullshit and everything like that. You know, you see so many people, Facebook, my God, you know, Facebook battles. Yeah. I can't do Facebook. I, I don't enjoy Facebook anymore, to be honest. I prefer Instagram. Yeah, me too. It's much less bitchy, I think. Such a powerful tool. Actually, I'm stealing this from uh, from Mr. Pen Chan. He said this morning, social media is such a powerful tool 
but such a destructive force. You just have to use it for for the right things, the but right I think it, reasons. I think that's that's everything. You know, if you, uh, as long as you have the right intentions, yeah. You know, it's all about intention. You know, what 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 you're really hoping to to do and achieve. I mean, like with my social media, my my intention is to is to try and get people to think, to question, to wonder, to ponder. You know, the potential possibilities of changing their world. You know, and and trying to do it through, you know, hey, look at me. Mm. You know, I'm on social media. I'm fairly popular on social media. People like me, but I've gone through this journey. You know, I I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I was a completely non-present, selfish bastard at times for a very, very long period of time. Everything crap in my life was ultimately all down to me and completely my fault. Yeah, I hear that. And absolutely owning it. And do you know what? The weirdest thing, and again, you know, this, this is... This is the wonders of like plant medicine. I remember, you know, like a year ago, you know, like if my, my wife would bring something up which I wouldn't like, like my drinking or <laughs> lack of presence, my ego would just kick off and it would shut her down. It'd be like, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. Same with my smoking weed. Yeah. I don't like your smoking weed. It makes you, turns you into the person that you're not. What are you on about? Yeah. Don't, don't say those things. How dare you say bad things about weed? <laughs> Me and weed are best friends. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, and that's the ego. Oh, totally. That's this ego, and in I've done a load of ego work over the last few months, and um, well, no, it's the first three months of last year. I sort of did literally three months of pure ego work with support and help. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is you realise that your ego isn't you. It's not actually you at all, and but you can be. You can be the master of it. Mm. You know, it's a subordinate. It's it's part of this physical body that we have. It's part of the programs which come with it. Yeah. And we can allow our ego to take control of the situations. And we, we, if we're all honest and completely honest about this, the majority of the shit situations I found myself in is because my ego is kicked off and just wouldn't let it go, wouldn't apologize. I remember saying like, you know, inappropriate things to my wife or something, you know, you know, nasty or just a little dig. You know, I was never nasty, nasty. Um, but, you know, you'd say things which would, which would cut people and hurt them. And there'd be a part of me would be like, dude, you've got to apologize. And the ego would just be like, don't you fucking dare. Yeah. You're weak if you apologize. Yeah, what do you mean apologize? You're right. You're yeah. always right. Yeah. Don't you dare apologize. Now... I will use every opportunity to apologize, to experience that vulnerability. Because mm. before I was so scared of being vulnerable, again, because this male masculine thing, we can't be vulnerable, we've got to yeah. be strong, we've got to be tough, we've got to be all this ridiculous notions. But now I've realized that actually being vulnerable and owning your own shit, if you make a mistake, owning it, say it, just take it, you actually find a huge amount of power in vulnerability. Oh, absolutely. Huge power. Much more power than this ego going, but no, they're wrong. You're right, dude. Everything is, you know, they're all against you. Yeah. All assholes. <laughs> yeah, I used to be, I used to get really bad road rage. But I always thought it was because other people were bad drivers. Of course. And it was me seeking, not, me it was my ego 
seeking a battle to try and make me feel better than other people driving down the motorway. I could just drive past someone using their phone and think they shouldn't be using their phone. Or I could drive past that same person using their phone and give them a load of shit out the window in hope that they'd react. And then I can react and I can feel like the bigger person. And what a waste of time and energy that is. I agree. But the crazy thing, I used to do exactly the same. It's judgment. This is a wonderful thing of judging people, right? Yeah. But what I've realised is that when we judge others, we're actually judging ourselves. Oh, totally. Because my God, I'd be like, son of a bitch using his bloody mobile, not paying attention. Two miles down the road, Guess texting. <laughs> yep. Ten minutes later, what am I doing? Exactly the same. Exactly. But it's fine because I'm doing it. It doesn't matter. Other people can't do it, but I can do it because I'm sensible. It's, I can do it and drive yeah. sensibly. He wasn't being it's sensible. This egoic madness, delusion that we all fall into. And it's just, it's just such bullshit. It but is. again, it will just trap you. Oh, in just a big ball of negative energy. And then that just, you do that on your way to work at seven o'clock in the morning. That's it for 11 hours. Yeah. Just live in that big ball of negative energy until you drive home on the same motorway and see the same things and then take them home with you. So you spend the whole evening in that big ball of negative energy. But do you know what, right? I'm going to throw a theory out at you. Okay. Okay. So think of it like this. When we are living in the past, living in the future, living in our heads, we as human beings will be constantly looking for reasons to self-pacify. So people get into a negative behavioral system where because they, because they enjoy drinking or smoking weed or taking drugs or partying or going out and, uh, you know, you know, sleeping with loads of women, they will potentially subconsciously create situations in their day to day lives to warrant, to validate that type of behavior. And this is what you see. You see it with people. They come home and your wife will go. Oh, do you really need to have a smoke tonight? Do you really need to have a drink? You're like, sweetheart, with the greatest respect, you have no idea the sort of day I've had. I've had the day from hell. <laughs> Absolute day from hell. And you've been telling yourself all day, oh my God, I've had the shittest day of my life. But it doesn't matter because I'll get home, I'll be able to skin up a nice joint, sit down with a cider, and it's all about me. Yep. So what you're doing, you're actually rewarding yourself because it's something that you enjoy, because you do enjoy Yep. You're now rewarding yourself for negativity. Yeah. <laughs> and now we can start to see why this behavior never changes. Because yes, I will have a really shit day every single day, seven days a week at work. But it doesn't matter because I'll be able to come back and I'll be able to warrant. Yeah, I can justify that I can joint. justify the fact that I can now get smashed off my tits. Yeah. And you see it, people, Friday night. Oh, let's just go out. Let's just get absolutely smashed. Why? Oh, I've had the worst week. So I'm now going to reward this terrible week with me getting absolutely wasted. And you see this, like living in London, Thursday, well, every night of the week, mm. if you go into the city, where I see a lot of my clients, you'll see people fall out of the office and the first thing they do, they go straight to the pub. Yeah. Straight to their dealer to go and buy some cocaine or whatever. Yeah. And then they'll spend three or four hours sort of just relaxing in this sort of craziness with all these other people drinking, drinking, drinking before they then finally step onto the train half cut to go back to their families because they ha they've got to do all of that before they can go home. But they're doing that because they're rewarding themselves saying, oh, I've just had an absolute awful, awful day and I'm just going to have to 
get myself into this state before I can process it. Oh, every day was an awful day for me for exactly that reason. Yeah, I've had a shit day at work. The people I work with are not nice people. I'm never going to progress because of X, Y, and Z, but I can go home and smoke that joint. And then just accept everything and everything's okay. Yeah. And then get up the next day and do the same thing again. Yeah, don't have to think about it. Just go home and smoke myself into a stupor where I'm just like, just stare at the television for a few hours, go to bed. Sweet. I mean, how many of us are doing that every single day? And in the back of their mind, they just, they're so, they're growing more and more dissatisfied with their lives. And the problem is, is that you can suppress that. You can suppress it for a long period of time, but it will come up and it will bite you. Yeah. when you least expect it oh man it did that so hard so hard yeah and this is why healing like doing your own personal healing work is just so important and I just I bang on about this all the time now because the benefits that you'll get from actually really engaging in it in deeply healing our bullshit mm. our traumas our pain will just free us you know and going back to your, your battery reference Think as your battery is your as is your energy level. So when you come into this world, you've got a hundred percent supercharged, superconductive battery. But throughout our lives, we're spending energy on traumas, external stuff. So by the time we get to like our sort of thirties, forties, that battery, which was supercharged, is down to probably like twenty percent because we've invested all this other energy in all these other things. Majority of it's going to be past traumas because they're painful, and pain is a big energy. But when you start to heal, when you slowly chip away, you regain that power. And this is exactly what I found. I found that I was so unpresent because I'd given out so much of this energy over the years, so much worry, concern, anxiety, depression had just depleted my battery. But as soon as I started healing my shit, you'd notice that, oh, I've got a little bit more battery power. Mm. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then a year later now, you're like, Oh my God, you know, I feel incredible. Yeah. Why? Because I'm not spending any time or energy thinking about the past. Yeah. Or my traumas or anything like that. Because you've healed, you've fixed it. You've processed it. You've allowed to let it go. You've taken the lessons. And now you've got all that money back, all that power, which you can now invest in other areas which are going to really help you grow. Very much so. Very much so. And... Nowadays, I say nowadays like it wasn't 12 weeks ago, but nowadays, um, when the shit hits the fan, which it does, I don't smoke a joint to numb the pain so I don't have to think about the shit so I can stare at something and forget about it. I go and, I go and power myself up. I go for a swim. I go and swim for, even if it's 10 minutes. I immerse myself in water and I feed myself with something positive instead of shutting out the emotion. I embrace the emotion. I take it as, take it for what it is, which is emotion. It's not a bad thing to be emotional. I think that was a problem for me. It's like, I can't be emotional. I'm not allowed to be emotional. Well, it's weak, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you emotional? Why are you crying so much? What's wrong with you? And there's nothing wrong with them. They're embracing their emotions, getting all of that stuff out by crying, or however you however you deal with it. 
But no, that's weak. Embracing your emotions are weak. That's that's the biggest load of shit I've ever tricked myself into <laughs> believing. But now I cry probably every day. And that in itself is so powerful. That negative energy releasing from my eyeballs charges my internal energy. I go for a swim and feed my body with making myself stronger physically so I can then feel stronger mentally, emotionally. I can live in the present. If I go for a swim, I'm in the present. I'm focusing on swimming. All of that noise disappears and I'm just focused on swimming. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. That's what I love about my running. Yeah. Is that I, I? It took me a few months, but now, now when I go out, I sort of just, I literally completely just detune. Almost, I don't even remember the runs. They're just this sort of effortless time when you're just, you're just away. Yeah. It's just so relaxing. It is, and I, I love being in water. <laughs> I used to spend like an hour in the shower. My mum would be banging on the door, going, "You've got to go." to school you've been in the no hot water I'm like yeah but I'm just lying in the bath in the shower it's great leave me alone <laughs> I still do it now well they say water is very good for sort of washing away negative energy that's probably why I spent my whole life in water, in water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like when was it not yesterday the day before I had a shower and then I thought I'm gonna have a bath so I had a bath and then I went for a swim and I had a shower after I'd had a swim and then I went home and I thought, oh, I'll have a shower before I go to bed and I spent all day in water. But I felt great. Mm. There's something very pure about water. Yeah. Love water. I'm going to move to the sea, move to the coast and wake up and look at water every day. The most powerful water as well. So much power in it. Love it. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think it's fascinating. I just, yeah, um, I just wish I was around an area where I could... Well, I, I can swim at Hampstead. Hampstead Heath has got a sort of a natural pool. It just looks like a pond. Yeah. Um, I think wild swimming, I, when, I, when I do move, there's wild swimming clubs and there's a few rivers down there that are so pure and clean that you just kind of swim in them you don't have to worry about it yeah I remember watching a documentary about wild swimming a few years ago and um, yeah I, I love the idea of it when I lived abroad I'd, I'd go swimming every single night in the sea usually have a, have a joint and then just go out probably like you know 100 feet yeah. and just lie on my back you know, no clothes, I'd always go swimming naked and just look up at the stars and the moon and just let the waves just sort of lift you up, take you down, lift you up, take you down. Nice. Swimming in the sea is something I'm going to have to overcome. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're not sure on the sea? I love the sea. I love being on the sea. I love looking at the sea, hearing it, smelling it, swimming in it. Not so much. When I was a kid, I went on a family holiday to Gozo and <laughs> remember the broccoli and cauliflower that my mum will be wetting herself now if she's listening to this. The broccoli and cauliflower that was floating in the sea. I just couldn't do it. It was just tickling my legs. And it just created this fear within me that I just grasped onto for the rest of my life. Something's below me. Yeah. Something's touching me. I don't know what it is. The fear of the unknown, I guess. 
And also, I remember going on holiday to Ibiza when I was, I don't know, 12? With a mate of mine. And he 12? Got... Ibiza? Gosh. Oh, we weren't raving. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say. I did get my hair braided, though, when I actually had some hair. <laughs> um, but um, he got stung by a jellyfish one day. And that and the broccoli and cauliflower incident. And I, I don't think I've swum in the sea since then. Oh, you're going to have to embrace that fear. Oh, I'll totally be going in. We'll do that in Italy. Yeah, man. I've got a uh, I've got a jellyfish story. Yeah. Right. So about three years ago, my wife and I go to Mallorca, um, sort of end of the summer, and um, we go to this sort of remote little sort of beach, and um, this sort of local guy is just like, you know, just just be careful of the jellyfish. <laughs> I'm just like, jellyfish, whatever, you know, whatever, <laughs> not a problem. Anyway, my wife has no fear really and was just swimming around out there just enjoying herself with this new mask that we bought. And then she's like, oh, you know, you come in, come in. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, but we're both just swimming and just diving down, just, just looking at everything. And I'm just treading water, just looking at her, just treading water. And then suddenly this, this sensation goes up my arm and across my back around my neck. And it, it literally felt that like I'd been shot whipped with this burning hot whip it was agony and very very quickly i felt my whole left hand side just go numb and she could see that something was wrong she was like what and i was like i've been stung by a jellyfish but as quick as i'm saying that i'm literally feeling my whole left hand side shut down i'm just like and my breathing goes i'm just like oh shit like a hundred yards from the beach so I'm like on, I guess uh, right just get on your back because you hold your lungs there you're going to float for a bit and I just sort of paddling back and I'll show you the pictures afterwards and I got I got stung by uh, a box jellyfish wow right I had no idea what a box jellyfish was when I lived in Bermuda we'd get Portuguese man of war and I got stung by them a few times and it was just like vinegar on it and you're fine this box jellyfish so these these apparently these buggers can kill you mm. right the agony the pain was just so severe so obviously we left the beach as so my whole sides just start to swell up and all these lesions and these, you know awful i'll show you the pics yeah and miles from hospital and i'm just like i don't i probably don't need to go to hospital but i'm feeling very very weak so Typical me and full alcoholic drug addict mode was just like, we're going to the nearest restaurant and I'm going to drink like a bottle of Prosecco. I'm going to eat a load of cheese, <laughs> which I did. And then went back to the house and literally just passed out. And I was all sort of looking pretty shit. We went out for dinner. And my wife said to me, she's like, I, I knew something was really wrong with you. She said, when you went to pick up your glass and it fell straight through your hand. And my whole side was just weak. And when I came back to the UK, it was it was bleeding. It was it was really really aggressive. I'll, I'll show you the pictures. Yeah, they're they're so pretty they're, they're pretty savage. So I had to go to the tropical medicines unit in Central Town, right? And the consultant looked at me. was just like, "When did this happen?" I was like, um, "Like a week ago," because I flew straight back out to go to Product Earth in Birmingham when it was on. Right. And the whole weekend, I mean, it's just oozing and I was just fevering and I felt awful but I I manned it out right yeah man up because men are not pussies 
And I go there and I have to go there twice and they spend hours pulling out these tiny, tiny little poisonous bars which this fucker shot into me. Wow. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things, right? And he said to me, he's like, um, you went straight to hospital, right? I was like, no, no, no. I said, straight to the pub. I went straight to the pub and <laughs> basically got really drunk. And he looked at me, he was just like, huh, actually, yeah, that's, that's, not a, that's, that's quite a smart move. He said, because the booze will slow down your system, so it will stop the poison going around. Okay. But it took months. It took months to heal. I'm still scarred now. Wow. And um, yeah, completely shit up my wife. She was, I mean, she was just in tears. She was in tears. She said, I thought you were going to die. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, so that's my, that's my jellyfish story. Yeah, and I'm still scarred from it three years down the line. Yeah. So I'm pretty careful of jellies now. Yeah, Portuguese man of war on our shores, don't we? Yeah, yeah, they can wash in. Mm. They can wash in. They'll give you a nasty sting. Yep. Um, Incredible creatures, though. Yes, amazing to look at. Absolutely incredible. I didn't even see this thing. No. Didn't see it. It was such a shock. It literally felt like I'd been whipped by this burning hot whip from Satan or something. <laughs> the, the pain, the searing pain for your body. And when you feel like your respiratory system getting weaker and, you know, everything going numb, you're like, oh, shit, it's curtains, right? Yeah, well, that's why I don't swim in the sea. But <laughs> then for... Oh, 25 years probably we'll have you swimming in the sea next month yeah I haven't seen any jellyfish in Italy do, do you know what we're going to get out of Italy now there'll be loads I, I'm going to get stung everywhere. again I'm just going to be like Jesus Christ why do I manifest it's this right. I got you back dude it just pulled me in I'll bring some Prosecco <laughs> I don't drink anymore <laughs> no I know I can't neither even, do I I, I can't <laughs> even use the alcohol just to, pour it on you just pour, just pour it on you <laughs> dance me in Prosecco yeah <laughs> So yeah, that was a that was a pretty crazy story, but um, I survived. You did. Didn't feel suicidal then. No. All I wanted to do was to survive. Was live. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bring on the jellyfish. Bring on the jellyfish. Well, do you know what my landlord always says to me? She said, "What you lot need now? You need another war." I'm just like, I'm not sure I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah. But, uh, it's that generation. No, oh, we never had these problems when I was younger. We just we just gone with it. Well, I think I think all of us are paying for your <laughs> your your sort of stiff upper lip mentality <laughs> in this emotionless British sort of yeah. Just crack on, just crack on. It'll be fine. No problems. Yeah, everything will be fine. Tally ho. Just go and stand in that queue for a bit. Queuing. <laughs> God, we're like cattle, aren't we? Yeah. I was queuing earlier to get my tube ticket because obviously. I'm from rural Warwickshire and don't have an Oyster card. So I had to buy a physical tube ticket. And I'm there, stood patiently in a queue, and there's people just dotting in and out. And I'm like, yeah, this clearly isn't working. Just get involved. London, London, London's like that. But what's interesting, though, um, is that people accept it. They don't even get angry. Hmm. If you, like, cut in front... Or oh, six like, months ago, I'd have lost my shit. What are you doing?! There's a queue. I'm in a queue. Can't like, you see? Just being efficient. So I'll be efficient. Yeah. And not get angry because I don't want to take that around London with me. No, there's already a lot of anger and confusion and misery in London. Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. I think it's accentuated here. It's a very hostile environment, London. 
for the majority of people. It's a city with every opportunity you can ever wish. Yeah. But it will spit you out so fast and leave you just bloodied and bruised on a wet pavement if you're not careful. <laughs> Checking if you've still got your teeth. <laughs> and your wallet and your phone. Yeah. <laughs> you got off lightly if you, you, you still got your wallet and your phone. Yeah. I couldn't do it, man. I like my fields full of horses. I grew, I grew up just down the road from Warwickshire. I grew up in Worcestershire. Yeah. By the Malvern Hills. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Very fortunate. Yeah, I grew up in Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah, I know Stratford. The Bard's town. I like Stratford. I haven't been to Stratford for ages, but my... Um, it's my, changed, man. It has changed. Yeah. It has changed. My, my, my dad and his wife live in Broadway. Okay, yeah. So not far. And the last Easter we went to... Bought some curtains from a curtain shop in Broadway once. I think I might even know the curtain shop. <laughs> yeah. I think there's only one. <laughs> yeah, there is only one, isn't there? There is only one. Um, yeah, no, I, I like Stratford. I like Stratford. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't rent a boat. We went there with the notion of renting a boat, but again, there was a huge queue. <laughs> I was like, I'm not queuing. No. It was a great place to grow up, and it's a great place... Probably to retire, but there wasn't really a lot to do when you hit that teenage, well, late teens, early 20s kind of. There's just nothing for you. Mm. So just used to go down the park and do acid. <laughs> it's good fun. Lots of fun, actually. I, I, was, I was actually quite old the first time I tried acid. I was probably 20-ish. Yeah, I was... I was in my 30s. I was always I was always anxious. I mean, although people call me a psychonaut now, I mean, I've caught up, you know, through all my work with plant meds, but psychedelics always always created fear in me. I did, I did mushrooms when I was about 18, and I just spent, like, five hours just watching spiders coming out of everything. <laughs> I remember the first time I did mushrooms was with an ex-girlfriend and we literally built a little like duvet tent and I was living in a bed sit like a one room tiny little bed sit in Stratford um, and we just built a little duvet tent and just laughed at each other for about five hours and then just went to sleep it was great yeah I love mushrooms I think the most I think they they, they have the potential when they're used with the right intention yeah to be fantastic and actually in Italy we, we I think this time we're going to be doing two mushroom experiences we're going to do a microdosing uh, experience and chat and then we'll do a deep dive the mushroom experience is always my favourite experience on the retreat yeah very very healing Sh- huge huge insights I think for me I think what I found actually with plant medicines is that ayahuasca would show me everything show me all my faults and flaws and the areas I needed to improve. And then it was actually the mushrooms which really helped me integrate right. all of those things into my life. Because I think that's, the, that's one of the most challenging things I think a lot of people find. Is they go and have one of these retreat experiences, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, it, it is a mind-blowing experience. And it will, it will fundamentally rock the reality you believe to be true. Yeah. Especially if you go in completely open, full of surrender, just oh, go, um, I, I don't care, you know, 
I'm not going to die. Bring it on. Just yeah, bring it on. And that's what I did. The first that's how time, I feel about it. Yeah. And, and with that attitude, man, I promise you, Luke, you, you will get so much out of it. The mm. first time I did the ayahuasca in, in Ibiza, it was amazing because it was Ibiza and we had these two incredible villas and, you know, these amazing landscape gardens. But I was still full of fear. I, I still couldn't truly let go. I had the most biblically awesome experiences but there was still this sort of holding back. When I went to Italy last October, I was, I was in that frame of mind, well, I have absolutely nothing to lose, like nothing to lose. Very much feel like that. And I'm just gonna go in and I just, you just ask the plants for help. You just go, look, I'm, I'm, I'm here, put me through the mill. Mm. I need to see it all, because if I see it all, I know I can sort it out. And then I just prayed that they would help me help me sort out my stuff which it did yeah well microdosing's changed my life it's an absolute game changer as far as I'm concerned oh it is I talk about it a lot the best antidepressants without any side effects yeah I talk about it a lot and I get literally every single week I get dozens of emails or messages from people going oh you know I listen to your podcast and you know I've been microdosing now for X amount of time and I just want to thank you because it's really, really changed my life. And I'm mm. just like, why aren't we talking about this? Why, yeah. why are we still giving people diazepans or other sort of antidepressants, which don't bloody work? Nope, they don't. When you can take a tiny, tiny, tiny microdose of a mushroom. You don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. And then, but what I, for me, what I found is that I wouldn't feel it. But in the evening, I'd get through my day and I'd be sitting down and be like, oh, do you know what? Today's just been... A really good day. A really good day. I just feel really comfortable. I feel really relaxed, really I really enjoyed the colour green. <laughs> oh, yeah, the colours. Just green for me. Was it green? Just just all greens. Just love it. Yeah, we were at, um, we were at Breaking Convention, this massive psychedelic conference yeah. here in London. Um, God, when was it? Three, four weeks ago? I think four weeks ago. And... Um, you know, full-on day of lectures and all that sort of stuff. But every single night, it was a full-on party. And when you got psychonauts from <laughs> all over the world converging, and you know that they were all terribly serious during the day, but come the evening, like the taps are open, and we were stood in Greenwich University, and they got amazing trees and. The greens, the leaves, the trees, yeah. you could see the energy from the trees and we're like doing meditation under the trees and just, oh my God, it was a, it was a, it was an absolutely beautiful, beautiful experience to be surrounded by like 500,000 sort of psychonauts as well. So there's no judgment. No. It's, it's just this it's big free. community. I remember being on the dance floor um, and just- I bet you look good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, do you know what? I I, I dance now. <laughs> I I dance now. Before I'd never dance. I was again. I I, I was I was too embarrassed to move yeah. and express and be free in movement. Thinking about, I dance around at home on my own in the lounge. I think movement's really important. Yeah. I think it's a great way, especially as also you know if you if you are feeling anxious and depressed. Get your favourite track on, not your favourite depressive track, no. but your favourite uplifting track, and just move your body. Just go mental. Yeah. I sing a lot these days as well. Singing's good. I've always been a singer. I used to be a choir boy huh? at Holy Trinity Church in Stratford. Um, 
but yeah, sing constantly now. Driving around, windows down, singing like soprano level, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Just, it's nice to see. Oh, it's beautiful. I was walking to the station, I was walking to West Brompton Station last night, going off for this, uh, <laughs> this, this hemp launch party in Highgate. And um, there was this lady sat in this little red car, she had this bright orange dress on and windows were down and she was just going for it Singing away. and I was just watching her and she, we clocked eyes and I just sent her this big beaming smile and she just beamed back and I was just like you go girl <laughs> you girl and you got, but you've got other people sort of looking at her going judgment 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 how dare you be yeah. freely expressing yourself in public I mean goodness don't you know we're British we don't behave like that yeah, suppress you again <laughs> yes. you're in traffic sweetheart you should be miserable shouting peeping the horn that's it I was thinking about traffic the other day coming back from Devon on the M5 and surprisingly on the way back from Devon on the M5 on a Friday afternoon I came across some traffic and I thought Oh, I could be really irritated by this traffic, or I could just use it as a time to like think about some stuff and listen to some tunes and have a bit of a sing. Mm. I'm going to get home eventually. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, just it, flip it. Yep, absolutely. And you can flip it. You attach a different meaning to it. Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast, uh, Brian Rose London Real podcast with Dr. Joe Dispenza, which he released, I think, this week, last week. I think I was listening to that. Really, really great podcast. If anyone likes Brian Rose and Joe Dispenza, do listen to it, it's well worth it. But he says that, he, he, he talks about, you know, you find yourself in those situations which you can't control, traffic, use that as the perfect opportunity to go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to spend a little bit of positive time thinking positive thoughts, mm. you know, becoming present, you know, I can't go anywhere, the traffic's, I can't control the traffic. Yeah. You can choose to shout, scream, swear, and you know what, if you do that and that works for you, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. Absolutely. But you will piss off your body and you will create all these negative emotions associated with being frustrated and pissed off. Or you can just let it go. And this is the crazy thing is that we all self-sabotage so much because mm-hmm. in a classic situation, I, I, I use this example a lot with clients, right? This self-sabotaging model. You see it a lot of train stations, airports, right? Classic thing. Where someone arrives late for a flight or a train and you sit at train stations where they come belting down <laughs> run they miss the train and they have an absolute meltdown so a guy like throws bag across the tracks you know complete barney in London their trains maximum every 15 minutes that's yep. the longest you're going to have to wait but then I sat there thinking to myself right well you know the train is at 4.45 right you leave work late so you're like I'm now going to I'm going to choose to rush and by rushing, I'm going to create stress, which means I'm going to fill my body with cortisol. Yeah. And I'm going to miss it anyway, because I just simply can't get across London to the train station at that time. There's no possible way. There's no possible way, but I'm going, to, I'm going to self-sabotage. I'm going to put myself through this stress. Or you could just go, right, well, there's another train in 15 minutes. So I'll grab a coffee and I'll just casually do the same journey and catch the train 15 minutes later. Yeah. But people will still choose to do rush, rush, rush self-sabotage, throw your bag across the tracks, have a complete shit fit, scream, shout. And yeah. you're like, dude, you can react like that and that's fine and it's none of my business if you choose to react like that. You're, you're a free-thinking being. But that incident is probably going to ruin your evening because oh, then you'll so get good. home, but maybe it's the perfect excuse to get home and go, 
I have had a shit day. Yeah. I have missed a fucking train, so I'm going to sit down and drink a bottle of Merlot, yeah. smoke it a pack of fags, yeah. and, and chew my wife's ears off about yeah. how crap my day was because... And not give a shit about her day or how she feels. You just project everything onto her. And if she's had a shit day, she's now had a doubly shit day because she wanted, she was looking forward to you getting home. So you can have a nice, pleasant evening. Enjoy that bottle of Merlot. Enjoy that packet of fags. But you just nailed them both because you've had a shit day and you don't care about her. And you're in full arsehole mode. Yeah. It's just victim. It's me, me, me. Me, me, me. That's the ego again. Bastard ego. I'm going to start doing some more videos on um, how to become friends with your ego. Yeah. For me, it was life-changing. When you really start to realise that your ego can be your best mate. Yeah. Or it can be your worst enemy. For years, for me, it's just my worst enemy. It just stopped me from doing stuff. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just, it's fear-based. It's just like, whoa, whoa, I just want to keep you safe, mate. You can't possibly do that. 30 years ago, something similar might have happened. Come on, dude. Yeah. let's stop worrying about the past because the past doesn't bloody exist any longer does not and we're not our past oh, no absolutely not I'm not a three year old child anymore no I'm not 16 I'm not I'm not 35 I'm, I'm I'm me now here and that's all I need to be yeah be be just be I think I think for people I think it's the most it's the most empowering decision you could ever make is to focus on being present yeah. in the real life moment the here and now anything else is constructed in your head that's the biggest thing for me over the last few months just just making every effort and I don't get it right all the time but making every effort to be as present as possible because if I focus on the things that have happened yesterday or a week ago, etc., etc., it's just going to bring me down, and I'm not going to achieve anything. I'm not going to move forward. I'm not going to grow. No. It is very, very empowering to just be. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the it's the it's the fundamental. It's the it's the number one. You know, you get to a point of pre- presence. Yeah. Because again, it's, it's in that moment of being, you know, present, you know, where you can create, you can create your future, you can create what you want. Like with your example with your wife. Yeah. You know, I've got dozens of examples I can use where I was just like, when I was present, I just decided this, this was going to happen. And guess what? It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want a quick stand-up break? We can pause. I need a wee. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. We'll come back to you guys in a minute. We're going to have a pee break. Ciao. It's not about anybody else. It's just about me. That's absolutely. It's always about us. Yeah. We're back, actually, by the way. We're Hi. back for our pee break. Yeah. feel much better now. Yeah, it was good. Got another cup of tea to reload the bladder with, though. <laughs> <laughs> Go straight through me. Always does. A re-up. A re-up. So, we've talked about quite a few things, haven't we? Yeah. What other areas... Would you like to talk about? What should we talk about? Um, I mean, we're both going on this deep healing experience in Italy. Yeah. Which I feel very privileged that you're coming. I'm very, very excited. I feel equally as privileged to be there. It's an incredible opportunity to unlock myself. 
it's the uh, I promise you man it's the perfect environment yeah it's just so safe it's just it's just in this beautiful part of nature this amazing old Italian villa it's all where the old mafia bosses used to uh, have their have perfect. their have their Sunday they had their they had they called them just their Sunday homes <laughs> where they're just entertained on just on Sundays in these huge huge villas just down right at the bottom of Puglia out of the way of the law and uh, yeah the, the landscape's just littered with these vast old mansions Wicked. yeah I'm really looking forward to that it's going to be it's going to be an experience and a half because you, you've never done ayahuasca before have you nope I will warn you now it tastes horrible oh, I, I don't really care about that it's oh. just a taste a taste it's so funny, like, because during ceremony, you're, you're potentially going to have multiple cups, depending, you know, it's up to you. But I always remember when I'm sort of sat there and I'm sort of deep in the sort of the ayahuasca world, and maybe it's starting to sort of wear off and you're like, okay, I'm going to have to have another cup. You just feel your body sort of shuddering, go, oh, God, are you really going to drink more of this, <laughs> this, this, this stuff? Um, but actually, the, um, the ayahuasca which we use in Italy is this uh, from the Santa Daime sort of dynasty area in Brazil so it's 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 nicer it's smoother than some of the ayahuasca's I had the first the first ayahuasca experience I had wasn't actually ayahuasca it's called jurema um, so slightly different plant okay. but a higher DMT content right but this stuff made me so sick like so sick because that's something that you potentially will experience. Yeah. I since the since my first ayahuasca, I was sick every single night. Okay. Not badly, but just sick, and you know you need to go to the toilet because it come through you and yeah. stuff like that. You can do that easily though. It's not like you're suddenly going to find yourself swimming in your own poo, vomiting, <laughs> vomiting over yourself. Yeah. You do always know your own needs on ayahuasca, which is great. Yeah. You know, you're never out of the reality of like, oh my god, I'm going to be sick. So you'd be like, okay, I'm going to stand up and go to the toilet. Because um, there's lots of horror stories online of like you know I, I drank this stuff and I basically spent ten hours swimming around my own poo and vomits and you're just like you know I've watched nearly a hundred people do ayahuasca now and uh, I've never seen that no like never and never seen that I've never seen any sort of anyone get themselves into a shit state really no pun intended <laughs> um, so yeah you don't you don't have to worry about that because that's a lot of people's fear because it triggers people yeah like, I can you know, imagine. And I, it was the same with me. Like when we were in Ibiza the first time, I sat there, I was still fully submersed in ego and fear. And I drank this cup of bloody Dorema. And um, I'm waiting for it to sort of kickstart. And all I can feel in the bottom of my stomach is just this nausea building. I'm just like, oh shit. And eyes are open, I'm scanning the room, and everyone's looking fine. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. And then my ego's just like, dude. You can't be the first person to vomit. Everyone's going to look at you. You'll be weak. You're going to be weak. So they keep sort of saying, center yourself, sit up straight, breathe, breathe, breathe. I'm doing all of this. I'm just like, and through my head, it's just like, you just got to surrender. I didn't even know what surrender meant back then. Right. And I'm sat there, I'm just going, oh God, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. So by this point, I've now got the bucket wedged between my knees as I'm sort of in this <laughs> fecal position. Not fecal, fetus. <laughs> <laughs> could be fecal position as yeah, well yeah it could be and fetus position and um, it's building and I know I'm going to puke because so I put my head by the bucket and I, this, this tiny little bleh came out and literally I just felt myself fall down this wormhole 
literally tumbling through this endless wormhole and then I find myself in this big black cavernous space and I'm just like I feel totally dissociated from my body at this point I'm just like holy shit have I died <laughs> I now can't feel my physical body and I'm like trying to feel my mouth and my teeth and my tongue can't feel anything I'm like oh maybe I've died am I breathing no I can't I can't I don't think I'm breathing and then suddenly this this light show just goes of all these geometric shapes and multicolored psychedelic weed leaves are coming at me which I took as a really good sign like oh yeah cannabis is good yeah <laughs> and then these nasty sort of evil looking faces started to appear in the periphery vision and I remember being told that if this happens to you just send them love and light so I'm there just going love and light love and light love and light please just piss off please just piss off which they did they just disappeared and then I got lifted up I sort of started to ascend up into this very white cavernous space and off to my left there were these three tall beings stood behind what looked like a, a plinth some sort of altar or table or something they're not paying much interest to me but they're, they're there and they got they look like bishops they've got very tall sort of like hats on and I'm looking at them going okay this is the weirdest situation I've ever found myself in and then suddenly this 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 huge brightly colored psychedelic owl comes out of nowhere like right up to you fills your vision and it's just like are you ready to go on the journey and I just say yes in my head and it's just like off we go off we go and I just got taken on this magical mystery tour of just life found myself in Egypt found myself uh, being nutrients being sucked up by plants coming up to the leaves I found myself as data coming down as cables out of iPads through to people's eyes and into their brains I found myself uh, up in a tree lying in this tree sort of looking out high in this tree and then I'm moving my hands and I realise I've got claws I move my tongue around which feels really furry I've got these sharp teeth and I noticed that there's other black jaguars. So it's, the shaman said, you know, you became your spirit animal. I've always loved black jaguars. I'm, okay. I've never known why. I've, I don't think I've ever really seen one in real life either. No. And then, you know, then this, this creature's moving through the jungle and your perception and your hearing and your senses are just so acute and you can feel the humidity and the heat from the jungle and you can hear all the rustling from birds and other animals around you. And then it sort of exploded up into space, just went super high into space. And then again, it sort of said, are you ready? And then you just answer it subconsciously, yes. And then I literally just exploded, just evaporated. And then you just become everything. Blew my mind, man. Absolutely blew my mind. Absolutely incredible. And then I remember getting up halfway through the first night and thinking, I just need to go outside. I felt like a caged animal being inside the villa. So I was like, I've just got to get outside. The whole back of the villa was just these glass panels which just retracted. Beautiful landscape gardens and sort of this infinity pool. And I'm walking out there and the sky is just alive. You can just see more planets, more stars than I've ever seen before. You can feel the energy from the ground, the water, the trees are talking to you. And then suddenly, all of these massive serpents, these black serpents, started to appear and be moving all around me, coming down the building. And I'm, and I'm there, like, moving my foot, trying to sort of move them away. And then at that point, I'm able to rationalise, oh, I can't feel them. 
okay, so these big fucking snakes aren't here. Mm. And then all the all the all the tiles on the floor were moving and coming alive and turning 3D and just like mind blowing. Wow. Absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. And I remember when I came back to England after it and um straight back into the club project which was really really stressful and I just I just had this overwhelming desire just to go back into the ayahuasca world I was just I've just got to get back in there to explore it more and that's when I um, I started to really go to town with DMT mm. which I think made a huge difference to my life because I you know I've done I've done over 450 deep dives with the DMT now okay and I think that really helped me go into my second experience because I hadn't I didn't have any fear no. I, was like, I was like you know what will be will be if I die I die yeah it doesn't really matter in the grand yeah. scale of things yeah at that point I was beginning to start to realise that you know this concept of death that we talk about and we all fear so much actually is a is a pretty much an illusion yeah yeah the physical bag containing space dust well and actually, interestingly, right? So um, it was probably probably about six months ago. I had a, I had a, I was working with my mentor, and I had a, we're doing some deep healing work, and I had a huge shift. And I went through thirty six hours of just torture, as all this tsunami of fucking darkness just you could feel it coming up and almost choking you. Mm. It took me ten days to recover. Wow. Really, 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 really dark. And it was a, it was during that 30s hour. I couldn't leave the house. I was hot, cold. I was paranoid. I was full of fear, terror. I could just feel like I was just losing everything, everything I'd ever cared for. But not just in this lifetime, just like every lifetime I'd, I'd had. And it was at that point I thought, I, I, I don't want to be here. I was like, I don't, I don't want this. This is, this is just too dark. It's too intense. And as I was thinking about uh, taking my life and how would I do it in the flat what have I got to use it's not like you I don't have anything really I mean I guess you could cut yourself with a knife but uh, you know too much of a coward to do that <laughs> this message came down going if you terminate your life we're just going to send you straight back here yeah and it was I know that sounds really really bizarre right not at all won't sound bizarre to, me, to you perhaps but yeah. maybe to some of the listeners they might be going oh my god but it was, it's just this huge sort of sense of like, you don't die. You can destroy this physical body. Yeah. You can stop this physical body from working. But you're this essence, you're this consciousness. And your spirit lives on. You're this energy and you can't destroy energy. Energy just, just changes. And yeah, they're almost just laughing going, yeah, do it, man. Yeah. Do it. You, you'll, you'll be straight back. <laughs> you'll be straight back. I, I just remember sitting there just going, oh. Okay, right. Yeah. Just Sorry. Fully submerse myself in this 3D experience. Oh, well, this is what you asked for, dude. This is what you want. Yeah. This Come experience back out now. Yeah, this experience actually is really really magical if you really invest in it. If yeah. you really start to see the beautiful magical aspects which are all around you. Pretty life-changing experience. Yeah. I can imagine. My god, yeah. 10 days. 10 days. Uh, maybe maybe even longer. I was talking about it with my cousin who's been my right hand sort of guy throughout all of this because he lives two streets away so we spend a lot okay. of time together. He's never done plant medicines well not yet and um, he was just like man he said you were he said we were worried he said we were really worried about you he said you just looked like shit 
And I was like, man, I just can't even put into words what I've gone through. Just horrendous. But it was that it was that deeper, deeper healing. And you know, you know, four weeks later, I was looking back on it, going, oh my god, what a gift. Yeah. Because I just see life just even more clearer now. And that for me is just why I'm just going to bang on about this message of just like heal. Yeah, absolutely. Heal. Just get it done. Don't 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 delay. Don't drag out your shit. Don't drag it out. You can heal it. You can heal it and improve your lives. People always say I get so many messages from people going, "Oh man, you know, you're always so positive, you're always so happy, you've always got loads of energy, you know, how do you do it?" So I healed. I got rid of all that distraction, all of that stuff which I was so focused on for years and years and years. And once you get rid of that, like I said with that battery analogy, you get all that energy and power back, which you can then use to focus on improving your current reality. Um, Yeah, so that's why I just think it's just so vital. That is essentially my goal, is to improve my current reality. Which you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, We We all can. People that need me to do that specifically one person and that's my little boy yep. he needs me to do that because I have to be the the greatest example of myself that I can be for him and myself obviously yep. but until I heal my shit I can't help guide him that's fully my motivation mm. but I'll, I'll be honest with you man with that sort of that honest motivation with that honest intent that sole purpose mm. you know to do this for the greater good which is what you're talking about mm. you're talking about you know breaking cycles very much so you know I've got a friend of mine and um, his father killed himself when he was a boy and he's never been able to get over it exactly he's never been able to get over it and you know the anger and the wise. Yeah, me and Pem were talking about that the other day. You can't leave that shit with them. No. It's not fair on them. You brought them into this world. You can't take yourself to a place you can't come back from and leave all, all of leave them with all of that shit to deal no. with. It's so unfair. Yeah, and that and that's the and that, that's the thing I've always thought about when I've considered you know when I've been in those really dark places. I think that's what's always stopped me. I mean, I, I you know I don't have children. Um, but I also have a lot of people in my life who love and care, yeah. you know, greatly for me. And, you know, in a moment of sadness, in a moment of desperation, if I chose to sort of, to do that, yeah, I would no longer be here. I'd no longer be suffering yeah. in this physical form, but I would destroy so many lives. And you still would suffer because in your next physical form, you'd be suffering and you wouldn't be able to do anything about what you'd left behind. Yeah. Potentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's important to just take everything as a lesson and and reframe reframe it and heal your shit. Yeah, heal your shit. Yeah. Well, Italy man is going to be so very exciting. Yeah. It already is. Mm. Tingling. Yeah, really powerful. Cannot wait. We've got a really good crew this year. Really interesting mix of people from all walks of life, mm. all all there for the same reason, and that's the beautiful thing is when you get a group of people who have got to that stage in their lives where it's just like you know what, it's now or never, 
you know, I want to, I want to improve my existence and I can improve my existence. And, you know, it's understanding and knowing that you, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be in these, yeah. these horrendous states. You know, we do have a lot more control over our personal realities than we realize. And once we realize that, that's just so empowering. And that in itself, just feeling empowered that you can create positive change in your life will just, that in itself will fundamentally change how you view and perceive your reality. Mm. Um, which, mm. is, which is it's just beautiful. And that's why I find it just so humbling doing, you know, doing the work and working with people because, you know, you can use, you know, for me, I just, all I do is I just use what I've learned and just tell it to other people and then they can choose to integrate that into their lives if they desire. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you were talking about the black jaguar earlier being your spirit animal. Definitely feel like I'm a stag. Nice. Yeah. That's very powerful. Oh, the stag. Okay, so... Um, Compassion. Yeah, I was love. talking to a friend of mine at breaking convention actually and she had there's the blue stag and it's something in the spiritual world it's very very powerful I can't, I'll have to ask her I'll, I'll, I'll text her and ask her about the blue stag but she did tell me about it but yeah so in my darkest hour it wasn't an hour it was a few minutes um, my marriage had literally just broken down say 10 minutes before that finalized realization it wasn't it was it was done and i looked out of my window and there was a stag in my garden just looking at me and then it just walked off whether it was physically there or not is irrelevant but and every every time i have an incredible day there's a deer involved in one way or another it's it's quite there's a lot incredible. of meaning we'll have to look we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we're in um, oh yeah he's just showing me this amazing tattoo half stag half owl yeah that's amazing man it's an incredible tattoo across his chest so imagine seeing half a stag's head and then the other half is made up of an owl and its wing yeah man that's incredible that's yeah. powerful that is yeah that's a very cool tattoo I really like it very very good friend of mine did that for me it's very well done not so long after I saw the stag yeah the owl why the owl for you because I feel quite wise these days I feel like my mind is opening up to a different way of thinking about myself and the world around me um, and the owl is traditionally quite a wise creature so we went with half and half Beautiful. A little bit of both. A little bit of power, a little bit of wisdom. Yeah, man, that's a perfect balance. Yeah. It's interesting because um, owls do come into plant medicines a lot. You know, that was the big psychedelic owl that I saw. Absolutely. It's very friendly, wise spirits all going, yeah, everything's cool. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Love animals. Very powerful beings. We are them. They are us. We are all animals. No. Why, why do we constantly separate ourselves from the, <laughs> the animal kingdom to the human kingdom we could learn so much we could learn so 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 much if we just watched how they interacted yeah but no they're just animals they can't even talk 
crazy. <laughs> it really is. It's absolutely nuts. They make noises. Of course they can talk. <laughs> we just can't understand what they're saying know, in so... this, I don't know, why presence we, we are. Why are we so arrogant as humans? Yeah. We're the top of the food chain. We're, we're this, we're that. We live in a solar system full of billions and billions of planets and stars, but no, we're, we're, the, we're the only intelligent species here. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Of course it does. Yeah, absolutely. To a narcissist human race. Who <laughs> <laughs> just think they're the dog's bollocks, we're the number one. Narcissistic, manipulative bullies. Yeah. But I think this, this, there's going to be a big paradigm shift in human consciousness. And I think, I think it's, it's already started. Yeah. Um, you see it with the younger generation, especially as well. You know, they, they think differently. They're wired differently. They're not going to be looking at resolving issues by going to war and blowing people up with nuclear weapons. No. Sitting down and having a chat. Yeah. Right. Talk it out. Yeah. It's the best way. Yeah. So many of these wars have just been started out of, out of sort of, you know, miscommunication and ego. Yeah. And Fear. Masculinity or perceived masculinity. What's, what's the most masculine way of dealing with a problem? You can have a fight about it. We could just sit down and have a cup of tea and a chat. Sort it out like real men. Fight never sorts it out. No. So there's always going to be a loser. A problem. There's always going to be someone who's perceived as being a loser, which is then they're going to be pissed off about that. Yeah. So then it's revenge. Yeah. I'll show him. Yeah, and then they, and then they do show them. Yeah, and then there's more revenge, and it's yeah, horrible cycle. This is the big shift that that needs to be happen needs to happen. You know, realize that you can't you can't fight something the same way it operates. You know, violence never solves violence. No, you know, you see it, it creates you, more yeah, violence. You see, it, I saw it. You see, it, London's an amazing example for all of this. I was on the tube a few months ago and there were these two guys who were just literally completely eyeballed up on God knows what, everything I imagine. Mm. And they were so aggressive and they were just, they were so in fear mode and they were trying to assert their authority on everyone and being really, really intimidating. And in those sort of situations, you don't know how it's going to go on the tube because all you need to have one other person who's had a bad day is just going to go, you know what? fuck you guys and then it all just explodes and then everything just erupts into chaos but literally the whole the whole train it was really amazing they just totally ignored them gave them absolutely no power and within about five minutes they sat down and were probably feeling like they were a pair of tits yeah inside so mm. you got no reaction but they were looking for that scrap because yeah. then that would give them a purpose to give them a reason to explode it more energy yeah can't fight fire with fire. Actually, that's technically not true. I said that the other day, and someone goes, uh, "Actually, no, because to fight f- fires, what they'll quite often do is burn away strips of land, so then the fire just dies." So I was like, "Oh God, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah good point." But I think people will understand the reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to overanalyze things. <laughs> do you know what though? And I said this to the person. I said, "That's the classic sort of person who's stuck in the head." Oh, but you can. You're missing my point, aren't you? You've just got to take it down to that logical, rational level, which is in your head still, instead of from your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Can't fight fire with fire. Got to try different tactics. You have water. Mm. The opposite. Literally. I guess when you you start going down that road, you, you... 
you kill violence with love. Nothing, nothing, nothing can, nothing will outdo unconditional love. No. The ultimate power. Mm. Yeah. Powerful stuff, man. Very, very powerful stuff. Very, very powerful stuff. Bring on the stag. Bring on the stag. The, sh- the shamans will be able to give you some interesting insights of that. And bound through the forest with my antlers. God, imagine being able to turn into a stag and do exactly that. So cool. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, down in um, down in Richmond, they have a lot of the deer and stag down there. And um, we sometimes go walking there. And they're such beautiful creatures. They are. So proud. Yeah. So gentle as well. Mm. So powerful beings, but so just peaceful. Majestic. Yes. This brings to mind. Yeah. I'm reluctant to use the word majestic in a positive sense and people that know me will understand why. We won't go into that. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. <laughs> That'll be another podcast. I'll get yeah. it, I'll get it out of him in Italy. Oh yeah. No, yeah, definitely you will. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Well, I think we're probably um probably wrapping up time maybe yeah I think so yeah that's well I've really enjoyed that Luke so it's been on. a really good conversation and any of you guys want to follow Luke on Instagram it's uh, baked not fried certainly is is it UK I think there's a UK on the end there is a UK isn't um, there yeah so yeah. baked not fried UK and you'll see my tattoo on there if you go there too that's a really good point if you want to go and see his half stag half owl the stowl the stowl I like that yeah if you want to go and see the stowl on his chest Go over to his Instagram. It's a really good tattoo, actually, and very unique. I haven't seen anything like it before, which I like. It's nonconformist. <laughs> I'm a complete nonconformist. I, uh, a little bit like my mind's eye. Yeah, that's really cool. A brain and an eye. A brain and an eye. I don't have a single tattoo. No? Not for everyone. I've thought about it. I've thought about it loads, but I've never been able to sort of find something that means enough to me, really, to stick it on my body I'm the only one in my family of siblings who hasn't got a tattoo my baby brother has about 18 my middle brother has probably about 10 my older brother has I think at least 3 much to the dismay of my father (laughs) I think I'm the only one in my family that does I always chuckle my dad was always when he was younger um He'd always say, yeah, don't like tattoos and I don't like beards. And uh, yeah, pretty much all his son ha- sons have tattoos and beards. <laughs> <laughs> Which he now likes. He, he likes He likes the beards. Yeah. It's on trend, isn't it? <laughs> I do not have a beard because it's trending. <laughs> Neither do I. I wear a beard because it's my superpower. Actually, no. Do you, the, the, the story behind the beard? I'm going to tell this story because I don't think I've ever shared this. But uh, this is all about embracing your bullshit belief systems. I remember when I could first grow a little bit of facial hair on my chin. That's where it always usually starts, is it? Chin and tash. Mine was just the tint, chin. And uh, I was absolutely mortified when I realised that my, my facial hair was ginger. And I was like, I'd spent years as a child ripping ginger kids at school, right? Getting a ginger, whatever. Oh, fuck, the, the, the abuse. Yeah. The abuse. And I think this is the universe sense of humour going, oh, right, I see. Oh, I'll tell you what, we're going to make you look we'll even you weirder because your, your natural hair colour is dark brown and we're going to give you this two-tone effect. Brilliant. 
And I can't tell you the number of people come up to me and go, do you dye your beard, Ginger? I'm like, no. But that was it. I, I realised that I was either going to have to remain clean shaven all my life or just embrace the fact that I had ginger beard. And it, and it took months to sort of get my head round. Oh my God, but I'm going to grow this ginger beard. And everyone's going to go, yeah, but why is your hair dark? And mm. why have you got a ginger beard? Yeah. So yeah, I, I grew the beard to uh, face face that sort of, whatever I'd describe it as, fear, worry, concern of why I had a ginger beard. For me, I look about six years old. If I, I can't remember the last time I was clean shaven. Yeah, you got a young looking face. Yeah. My... Uh, my wife has never seen me without one. Ten years I've known her. Never seen it. And also, I grow the beard because I have no hair. So it's nice to have a bit some of hair. thriving space on my body where I can get some proper growth going on. It was interesting, a few years ago, um, when I was at a particularly stressful point in my life, my hair started to fall out. Like, you get out of the bath and there'd just be loads of hair in it wow and my wife's a hairdresser and she'd be like oh you're losing your hair I'd be like, oh, shit you know my dad's bald and um I, was like, oh, I don't really want to lose my hair but then i was like oh but i, I have a beard so that's okay be not fun. a problem at all but interestingly um all my hair's regrown wow yeah and no stress yeah and, my, and my, my wife's amazed she's just like seriously she said your hair is so thick now but it was stress. It was it was alcohol. It was drugs. Huge amounts of stress and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. And you don't realise the pressure you're putting on your physical body. Yeah. And again, you know, it's all about energy. You know, yeah. if if you're diverting all the energy to stress and filtering all the booze and the shit you're eating, all the drugs you're taking. And guess what? I mean, it's going to forfeit your hair, right? Yeah. Apparently so. Mm-mm. That's what it goes for first. Yeah, because it's, it's a non-essential. Especially on your head. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's, it's just, it's just right, okay, well, we don't need this. So, you know, something which is constantly growing, constantly needs energy to grow, you know, it does grow fast and all this sort of jazz. Okay, waste, well, yeah, we'll... Waste we'll, of energy, yeah. we'll refocus. We'll shut that down. Don't need that. Oh, maybe I'll have flowing locks when I come back from Italy. I can't promise dreadlocks. Step off the, fl- off the plane. Can you imagine? <laughs> I was having that conversation with someone else recently and they said... They said, yeah, if, I, if I'd hadn't lost my hair, they said I'd, I'd, I'd had full dreadlocks. I'll remember who it is soon. I can't remember that right now, but it doesn't really matter. But anyway, listen, Luke, massive thanks. I really appreciate you coming all the way to London to talk to me, all the way from Warwickshire. Thank you, my friend. Um, I'm very excited about next month. So am I. It's going to be, I promise you. It's going to be magic. It's going to be a really deeply profound, life-changing experience. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. But it's going to be good. It's not going to be easy, but everyone there is going to be in the same boat. Absolutely. Everyone's there is full of compassion, unconditional love. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll walk you through this experience. It'll be beautiful. Mate, it's going, to be, it's going to be amazing. Do you know what's really beautiful about these experiences is just watching everyone becoming vulnerable. Mm and opening up we do these amazing sharing circles and just listening to other people's stories and their experiences with the plant medicines actually is where you i, I always find i get even more healing mm. 
because you can see what other people are going through and they're telling their tale, their story and, and all that sort of jazz. It's, it's so powerful. And you, it makes you realise that actually community is so important. You know, and this is what we don't have in this day and age. Community has been smashed apart. We're all, you know, I've been living at this address, you know, for four years. I don't know anybody. I, I literally, I don't know anybody on my street. Not a soul. Wow. How nuts is that? Yeah. The only person I know is my landlord. The only reason I know them, because I mean, I pay them every month. <laughs> yeah. But literally, I don't, I don't know a soul. Yeah. Community is very important. Very, very important. And that's something I really noticed at Breaking Convention, the Psychedelic Conference, is that it's a community. And there's people of all ages, all walks of life, all demographic, everything. But it's just this beautiful community and you just felt really, really safe. And I think you can see this and this is why like, people are drawn to like, the cannabis community. You know, because it is a community. You, know, it, you, know, you go to cannabis events and you'll be mingling with everybody from all walks of life yeah. and you just share you share this one fundamental thing that like you love this plant yeah. and regardless of what people think about cannabis is that you know the huge amount of people I know in my life I wouldn't know these beautiful beautiful souls yeah. if it wasn't for cannabis oh, absolutely <laughs> like the, the people the people I hold in the highest regard in my personal life my, my brother's I don't have any actual brothers, but they are my brothers. They've, they've been there for me for, through everything. I met them through a love of cannabis, essentially. I mean, they don't anymore, and I don't anymore. But that connection came from that sharing of something and that understanding. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. But I think this is very powerful, and it shows that if we go through experiences together... Yeah, it's just amplified multiple times, and that's what we're looking for as 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 human beings. We're looking for that deeper connection with each other, and that's sadly something which is I think massively lacking in modern society, where everything is divide, split and divide. Everything's de- designed to divide us. Yeah, you know, social class, religion, race, sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, wealth status. All of these things. You know, all designed just to keep pulling us apart from each other instead of actually really connecting us. Um, that's, that's a big change I like to see in society where we, we recognise that actually essentially we're all one. Yeah. And um, if we really started looking after people in our society, then our entire existence, our entire world would fundamentally change and everyone would benefit. Yeah. We don't need these people in power who just have billions of dollars in the bank and don't share around. They don't need it. You know, why, why have we created a society where... You know, there are people starving. Yeah. People can't breathe. People don't have access to medicines. I mean, people don't have access to clean water. Literally no reason for people to be starving no. in 2019 or whatever it is. There's no reason. Absolutely no reason. I was talking to someone the other day and um, they were saying that India throws away enough food every day to feed I think the population because they can't the, the infrastructure is so bad they can't get the product produce out so it spoils so quick yeah. but they're constantly producing so much of this stuff Yeah. but it spoils so fast because there's no 
you know, it's, it's India and the resources are limited. There's so many of those kinds of statistics. I mean, you take, if you took all of the animal, uh, all of the, f- the crops that were grown to feed to animals to feed us and just fed us the crops instead of the animals, you'd have no famine. Yeah. Madness. Crazy. Are you vegan? Vegetarian? I'm not vegan. I like pizza too much. <laughs> uh, I have found that I don't particularly enjoy eating animals anymore. Yeah, same. Um, because I love animals. And it's not right for me to... I can't have a cat and eat a cow. But that's just my personal view on it. Don't. The way I look, the way I look at it is that... Um, would I go up to a cow, yeah, stick a gun to its head or exactly. slit its throat so I could eat it? No, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. A lot of it for me is to do with sustainability as well. Um, obviously, not obviously. I've just spent I just spent a week in Devon and I was eating crabs while I was down there because I'm in Devon and Devon is crab. And when I move there, I will potentially not go full full wild but full crab yeah not full <laughs> the crab man um, but I would like to try and catch my own crab and fish for my own fish because it's it's a sustainable way of of eating animals and it it doesn't feel as wrong as eating something that's been farmed and yeah it's yeah, it's a it's a touchy subject. So it is a touchy subject. About. It's a you know it's a motive. It gets people's emotions going. No, I like um, like Joe Rogan talks about this quite a lot. Where you know, and he gets a bit of shit for it. Where he'll go out and hunt, yeah, with his bow, and you can go and get an elk or something like that, which I think he really likes. And you know, people sort of attack him for it. But you're like, you know, you're going out in nature. There's no guarantees that you're gonna get anything. But if you do you know use use all of it eat all of it yeah i love the idea i mean if i live by the sea you know i i think that's amazing i'd yeah i'd get some lobster crab pots exactly yeah you'd eat for free right exactly how many crabs do you need in a day what one large crab that's enough protein delicious and then vegetables and other stuff yeah and if you don't catch a crab you just eat the vegetables yeah but we'll see we'll see what happens whereabouts in devon are you thinking of going dartmouth Dartmouth. Yeah, you know, a little village called Stoke Fleming, which is just round the coast from Dartmouth. Dartmouth's beautiful. I think I, I think I rode down there once when I was at school. I can't remember. Yeah. Simplify my life. Spend a few months in Devon, by the sea, a rest and recuperation. It's been a hectic twelve months. But do you know what though? I mean, I think that's a good move to do after doing this trip with us. Yes, that's something that I've been thinking about. A very peaceful, pleasant way to reintegrate back into... But also different environment. Yeah. That's what I found difficult with my integration was coming straight back into the same environment. And that's, that, and that's challenging. It's the whole go to the doctors, get some antidepressants, go back to your environment when your environment is the cause. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, drugs aren't going to work because the environment hasn't changed. Yeah, I don't think that was the lyrics, was it? <laughs> the verb, no. <laughs> Great.
great song <laughs> anyway we're going to wrap this up guys thank yeah. you very much for tuning in to the awesome boom podcast um and uh yeah do you know what i'll probably uh, take my equipment over to italy and maybe we can have a chat post ayahuasca yeah let's do it um there's a few interesting people so I could get some really interesting content over two weeks so that's great anyway guys I hope you all have an amazing day thank you very much for all your love and support and we'll catch up very very soon love ya right well that's the end of the podcast I hope you really enjoyed it as I said Luke and I will be back for part two after we've finished our uh, ayahuasca retreat in Italy in the next week or so it'll be the end of October by the time we get back um so if you have any questions or anything like that please do just drop me an email it's just awesome at awesomeboon.com super easy i will reply to every single email and message i get failing that you can just contact me on instagram which is just at awesomeboon super super easy but once again thank you so much for tuning in if there's anything you guys want to discuss any questions honestly just fire them in i'm super friendly i'm always willing to help someone out um so and i'm here to help Basically, I am here to help. So big love, beautiful people, and we'll catch up very, very soon.